What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Okay, you know, like at camps and stuff like this, you take the ball out. You ain't getting the ball back. <laughs> like, you the last one up the court. They already did their thing. So I stopped there, and I just got into a rhythm and started hooping. The Lakers should sign Trey Young this summer. They got to kind of start preparing for, like, if LeBron's last year is this year or next year, whenever it is. And I feel like a uh, pick and roll with AD and a guy like Trey Young would be deadly. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Moments like my daughter telling me a new joke mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC, which is breast cancer that is spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrance, Palpocyclib. Ibrance 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR positive HER2 negative NBC as the first hormonal based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrance and visit Ibrance.com. Ibrance may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrance may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrance, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. Welcome to All the Smoke a production of The Black Effect and Our Heart Radio in partnership with Showtime. Welcome back, man. Season two of All the Smoke. We got a real special guest. What's up with your Brody with the virtual handshake? I'm going to tell y'all something that I never told nobody. I want All the Smoke. Welcome back to another edition of All the Smoke. Jack, what's going on out there in Atlanta? Man, it's freezing, man. Hey, and like and like we said earlier, it would be funny. It's the first day of Black History Month. It's snow everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice out here in LA. Not nice. It's in the mid '60s out here in LA. I can't complain. We got a really special guest. Uh, we appreciate you taking time. We know you're on the road right now. Let's welcome to the show Doc Rivers. Doc, coach, what's going what up, on, Coach? What's up, fellas? How Nothing are you? Going on the, the season, the road. <laughs> you know, it is what it is. So we were just talking uh, before we got on, and I think it would be interesting for our viewers to hear that too because obviously, you know, when Jack and I played in your whole entire career, you know, the road is kind of a chance where you get away from home, you can go to some new restaurants, you can get out and check out a new city. It's completely opposite that now. It almost seems like you guys are on complete lockdown, and sometimes actually you guys are the only people in the hotel. Talk to us a little bit about what that experience is like. Yeah, in most cases, you're the only person in the entire hotel. They they wish you in through the back door. You're going through service elevators. Uh, it is, it's really strange. Uh, I would say still, I would take it over the bubble. Um, yeah. But, you know, because you are playing in the actual arena, so you feel like you're on a road trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, the biggest difference is you, you just never leave the hotel. 
Uh, you know, and for me, like coaches, you, you literally, you get in your room, you don't leave the room. You know, you, you may go down and grab a, a, a bite with the fellas. Other than that, you're in your room. So it is definitely different. Um, but it, it, again, if you ask me which one I'd take, I'd take the way we're doing it now than over the bubble. Uh, I'm sure everyone else feels Thanks. that way too. Well, let's get to it. Uh, fresh start in Philly. How, how, how has that been? I, I saw you go there. As soon as you signed there, I was just like, Doc is one of the best motivators I've ever played for. And to me, from the outside looking in, it seemed like that was all those stars needed was someone to, you know, make them feel comfortable on who they are and, and being the best them. And, and we're seeing that particularly out of Joanne Embiid, who's playing at an all, uh, MVP and obviously all-star caliber this year. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. Uh, when, when I first, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I was going to take, I was going to do what you guys are doing now, you know, <laughs> take a year off and, <laughs> you know, just relax a little bit. You know, guys, this is 21 straight Man, years. That's a lot. I haven't had an off year ever, you know. Right. Uh, and so I thought about it for, for about 20 minutes. And, um, <laughs> and then this, the Philly job was just so interesting to me because of, of Ben and Joel. Uh, I knew Tobias was there and I had coached him uh, and I thought I could get to him as well. Uh, so, you know, this, this group, it just, it, it just needed a, a change like culture. Uh, and that just, it wasn't as much as on the floor and it was some of that. Uh, we had to change just the culture all around uh, on the floor, in the office, uh, in our development, everything. And, you know, they allowed me to come in and do that. Uh, Elton, uh, at the start, was the main guy, and then we bring in Daryl. So just having that group behind me and allowing me to do the things that I need to do that I think uh, helps us win, was, was, was they've been amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had to get our guys, our players, to understand what, what winning actually looks like. Right. You know, and I think uh, you guys have played long enough. You know, You know the game, like – I think there's a lot of great players, but I don't think all of them understand what winning actually is and what it looks like, what it takes. It's hard to win. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't luck up. There's no lucky champions. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there never will be. Um, and so you've got to do all the preparation uh, and put in all the time and then go through, the, you know, I hate using the word the process because it's, it, <laughs> it's been that process <laughs> over there for a minute. <laughs> you know, but, you know, we jokingly told our guys preparation process and then the parade. But you yeah. don't get the you don't get the last one until you do the other two first. Exactly. exactly. Well, you had a you had a particular mindset with that 2008 championship Celtics team for you guys to uh, to capture that title. What has been the mindset um, you want your players to embody with this new run with Philly? Yeah, every every group is different, you know, man. I had a I had that that whole Mbutu, uh thing with the Celtics and. They were just the perfect group because they were ready. They had all had, you know, their MVPs and their All-Stars, you know, uh, Ray and KG and Paul. They were ready to win. Like, they wanted to be coached. They wanted to be led. They wanted to figure out how to do something together. Uh, Then I went with with the Clippers and, you know, Matt, that first group, as you know, uh, I thought the talent was there, you know. Uh, I just didn't think we ever wanted to, to, to be a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least do it together. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, and, we'll, know, we'll definitely we'll definitely get into that a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, and it, and, it, and it takes that. Um, Absolutely. So then you go to this group, and, you know, I, I kept using the word yet. Like, every time since I've taken this job, 
you know, Joel and Bede and Ben haven't won. And I said, well, they're 24, 24. Can we say yet? They haven't right. won yet. Like, they mm -hmm. still have time. Right. They have time to, they have to improve. Uh, we have to improve as a group together. Uh, but the yet word is very important. And that's what we're trying to do now is trying to remove that word. Uh, but that word is in front of us. I mean, until we do something about it, guys, it's going to stay there. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah, Doc, I, um, I said I said when you took the job that you are one coach that knows how to get that get the best out of out of his players. Not only because you played, but you also knew how to hold, hold guys ac accountable. And that's what I think uh, Ben was kind of missing. Being that he had such a relationship, a great relationship with Brett Brown, and I and and I know even with guys all stars like KG and Paul, them you held them accountable. I think that's going to take these guys to the ne next level. How uh, special are Ben Ben and uh, Embiid? They're both better than I thought, which is, I got to mm -hmm. tell you, from a coach saying that, that's a hell of a feeling. That's scary, it's, right? It's, that's it's scary. a great feeling. And both of them are in completely different ways. You know, there's that old saying, you don't know a player until you play with them or coach yeah. them. Uh, and, like, I loved him from afar. Like, I, I saw Ben, uh, we had a game, I think it was two years ago, he just came in L.A. and destroyed the Lakers and then destroyed the Clippers. And I was like, man, this guy – uh, and then you coach him, and he has so many different skill sets. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, everybody's focused on his shooting, and, and when you watch him play, he does so many different things to affect winning that analytics and numbers can never justify yep, right. on, yep. on what he does. Um, he's one of the few guys, Kawhi had a little bit of this too, where defensively he can literally swallow you. You know, that's how, that's how it feels like when he gets into you, he just swallows you. You don't see that mm -hmm. very often uh, with guys. And his instincts uh, offensively, he's not a point guard. Like Magic was a 6'10 point guard. Ben can play point from his position. He's never going to be a guy that comes down and see all the calls. But if you put him in actions with his instincts, mm -hmm. I'm telling you, there's, there's uh, I, I think it was Dwight or someone said he has Le LeBron-like instincts, and he does. You know, he has the size, he has the ability, uh, you know, he can make uh, only like few people, Magic, LeBron, and him, those bullet passes across the court yeah. uh, be because of their size. Um, so, yeah, and then Joe L is, listen, he's offensively, <laughs> and I didn't know, I, I thought he was good. I'm not going to lie. I, like, I thought he was really, really good, um, but I don't know how you stop him uh, when he gets it in this place without double teaming him. Uh, and that's what teams are doing. And, and so what, what we have to do is get him comfortable with being double team and get him un to understand uh, having the mindset, if you double team me, we're going to score. Mm -hmm. If you don't double team me, we're going to score. score. Right, and, and he has that mindset. Now you can see it. Like this is the first time he invites double teams. Now you remember Barkley would like, come on guys. Come on over here. He's no. doing that now. Um, where, you know, in our first conversations, it was hilarious. Oh, he talked about, you know, they're going to double team me. And I was like, yeah, bro, that's what they should do. You know? <laughs> right. And, and, and he needs to get okay. some tape on Tim Duncan. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's <laughs> fine. Um, and you're still getting yours. And, yeah. and, and, and now he's realizing he can score and he can also facilitate uh, from the post. And, this, the last thing is we had to get our team to understand that. No, Joel's our go-to guy, mm -hmm. and we had to make that clear. Like mm -hmm. So I think just defining what our guys needed to do has really been helpful. 
being a star in your role, that was one thing I remembered you preached to the Clipper team is just, you know, everyone can be a star at what they have to do. And, and when you do that, you have a better chance at winning. See, man, I didn't even know you were listening to me. I'm not I was multitasking. <laughs> uh, you got a, a, a second chance to coach Tobias Harris. He had his best year as a pro with you as a Clipper. Um, now he's at that level again, which to me was huge because, you know, things didn't work out with Jimmy Butler. And you guys felt like you guys needed a wing that can close the game and do a lot of the things that Tobias has in him. He just hasn't been able to show all the time. What has it been like? Because obviously I think you're someone that's been able to get into him and encourage him to be the best of himself. And, and we're definitely seeing that again with you as his coach for the second time. Yeah, it's great. You know, sometimes, as you know, you – you can go back to the same place and it doesn't, it's not the same. Right, it's, right. It's different. Uh, and this one has been great. I mean, I think the first practice, uh, ball swung, the bias started going in between his legs. I blow the whistle. I was like, no, bro, we, <laughs> no. <laughs> but, and I was like, Tobias, that's just not you. Right. And, right. and, and he started laughing. like, here we go. <laughs> you know, <laughs> here we go. But when I tell you, when he's straight line, quick decision, decisive. He's tough. He is Tough. a monster to guard, and, yeah. and that's what we got him doing again. He's, he's confident. You know, he's yeah. catching it and shooting it, catching it and attacking. With his size, you know, people forget, and you guys probably remember, but he used to be just a post player, yep. you yeah. know, in, in, in college. And so we're doing – we're giving him that as well back. We're putting the post game back into him. So it's been really nice. And, and, and as a guy, listen, you, you need great guys on your team, and he's one of them. Mm-hmm. It just looks yeah, like to I, me. Looks I, like I had him as a rookie, Matt, in Milwaukee. Yep. I had him in Milwaukee, and he's, I mean, one of the best kids ever. I knew once he get up under the right teacher, he would be good, but he had all the tools, the size, everything. But besides, because like I said, he's a great kid, one of the best teammates you can have. He just looks like, to me, looks like he's at peace with his game. He's very comfortable at what he's doing, and that's obviously when he's the most effective. Let's take it back to your upbringing. Um, your dad was a cop. Was that a tough situation back then? Obviously, police brutality has been on the spotlight my whole life. Uh, was it tough having a father as a cop um, as a child? Shot time. It's funny, it's funny Matt. Uh, it wasn't because I lived in a community, uh, a black community, uh, mostly black cops, you know. Uh, my dad was a cop. He was the baseball coach, the football coach, <laughs> the basketball coach. Mm-hmm. Uh Every time I came home from school, there's some mom or grandmother uh, sitting on the couch with their son crying, uh, and my dad giving them, you know, advice uh, or threatening them that if I see you do that again, I'm going <laughs> right. to kick your butt. You yeah. know, my dad was tough, man. Like, uh, but he was tough to me. He was tough to the whole community in a very, like, positive way. Right, right. Um, but and, and we don't have that anymore. So, but the fact that, and, and this is what gets me, is the fact that my dad had to have to talk with me. Think about that. My dad's a cop, right? Right. And and he used to tell me, boy, when you when you go out of this neighborhood, mm-hmm. like you got to be careful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to watch it. If you get pulled over, uh, if you get stopped. I remember when I got my license. He sits me down on the couch, and that was the talk. If I pull you over, you're good. If Willie right. Boyd pulled you over and Willie Boyd was another cop in Maywood, we all knew their names. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, you walk down the street in my neighborhood, the cop starts riding down the street, you would wave. Right, right. But you go, you go in the next neighborhood, 
and the cop rolls, slows down, first thing you want to do is run. Uh, the second thing you start thinking is, oh, shit, here it comes. Something, right. Something's going to happen. Right. Uh, and it did happen. It happened to all of us. It happened to me. I got thrown in the batty wagon once, and I was just standing on the corner. But I wasn't in my neighborhood. Right. Um, and, you know, so, yeah, it was difficult in that way, uh, but not the way I can't imagine how it would be now. Uh, listen, we didn't have body cams. We had no proof. You know, my grandmother, my, my great-grandfather, all of them used to complain and tell us about these stories, but we didn't have any proof. Uh, George Floyd, and, and, and even before George Floyd, we got proof now that, mm-hmm. that it actually is happening, and it's happening at a, at a normal rate. It's not like once every five years. You know, it's, right. it's happening at a normal rate, and, you know, I, I, I'm so happy what you guys are doing, what everyone is doing. Uh, because without our voices, uh, this stuff would get swept under the rug. And it's not over just because Joe Biden went and got in office. Like, we got to keep the pressure on, uh, but we got to get legislation right. passed, guys. We got to get things changed. Um, and, you know, change is not bad. No. <laughs> it's, it's, bad for, for people, it's bad for people who don't want that change. Right. Um, and, you know, Equality, I don't understand what's wrong with equality and, and why people think if I give you equal rights that I, I, I'm losing me. something. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, it's just, it, it's nuts. But yeah. that comes with, yeah, when you have everything, you don't want to give up anything. Right. And, and you're not. But but we want our fair shake. Yeah. And, and, and guys, right. like, we got to keep fighting for it. I That's think right. you touched on it. Uh, perfectly, you know, growing back up, I remember hearing stories where the community knew the cops back in the day by name, you know, so it wasn't necessarily if, if I'm in your neighborhood, I know you, I know who's causing street is Willie down the street or is Jim around the corner. They knew people by name and now they're putting cops that have no relation or understanding to these communities and they're, and, and they're scared. And when you're scared, you do crazy shit. And, and, yeah. and, and we're scared on both sides. You know, like they're scared of us. We're scared of them. You know, so there's no actual line of synergy. There's no communication. Most of the times it's just guns and tasers, and, that, and that's very unfortunate. Well, think about how many times, probably in, in different communities, where a cop will see a guy do something, even break the law, and he'll grab him and say, hey, John, you don't do that kind of stuff, man, right. and send him home. Mm-hmm. But then think about that same cop that lives, you know, 30 miles away and is driving down the street now living in that, uh, working in that community, that he doesn't know anybody, and he's scared. He right. sees someone do anything. He's going to arrest them. Got to get them. Uh, and throw them in jail. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and listen, we, we not, we're, not, we're not just the same. We're not. Right. It's not just the cops, but, you know, the, the law, like, they see us differently. Yeah. Um, and so it, it has to change. Uh, I really believe that the reckoning of uh, just understanding that this all has happened and, and admitting that it happened is, is a good therapy for this country. Yes, but it is. No one wants to do it. At least a lot of people don't. Some do. Yeah. Things are changing, but, yeah. but we still got to push it. Great first step. Um, what was your introduction to race and racism? You know, you and I have talked before this. Um, hopefully we can still get you for the project. We just finished my, uh, my Black Mark project. But you faced a lot of racism in your life. And you said you grew up in a black community, so I'm guessing stepping outside of that community for the first time was when you faced racism? Yeah, even earlier, Matt, like if you look at the map where I'm at in Chicago, Maywood is surrounded by like five very affluent white neighborhoods. 
And so it was almost like an electric wall, you know, like if you went outside of that. Uh, Proviso East High School I went to, when I was in grade school, uh, young grade school, there was big racial riots. They were on TV every day uh, because Proviso East uh, bled into all those communities. And so there were big race riots. Um, I didn't really understand them. I just knew that the blacks were walking on one side and the whites were on the other side and the state police were in the middle of the street and people were throwing bottles and all that. So that was my first introduction. But the first one I really got uh, was when I was, I think I wanted to say it was in the fifth grade, maybe in the fourth grade. My dad came home and told me he was taking me to a basketball camp. Uh, in fourth grade, going to a little kid's camp. Um, it was at a, an all-white neighborhood, uh, one of those very affluent white high schools. And I walk in, I'm the only black there. And on the third day, and, I, and I'm bragging, but I was destroying these kids. Um, <laughs> and the kid called me a nigger. Oh. And and so like I lost it, you know, like what wait a minute, what? And and so I tried we you know, I, I threw a punch, you know, uh they wanted to kick me out, of course, uh, because I was the troublemaker. Uh my dad comes in to, to pick me up, but he has his police officer uh on, on outfit on, so he got respect, you know, because here comes a police officer. Right. And so, you know, that night my you know, I'm I'm crying, I'm mad, you know. And uh, my dad says, all right, um, let's get dressed in the morning. And I'm like, for what? He said, because you're going back to the camp. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean, Dad? I don't want to go back there. And he said, oh, no, you're going back. And you're just going to show him uh, who this nigger is. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's and and right. that's the exact words that he used. And, you know, I did not want to go. Uh -huh. um, but I went back, and the next two days, you know, for whatever a fourth or fifth grade, I wish I could remember the grade could do. I did everything I could basketball-wise, I'll say that. And we won the whole thing, and I got the MVP, and the kids were cheering when I left. And, you know, it's it's, it's funny. The only way those kids could have ever saw that, you know, he's all right, right. But it was by me coming back mm. and, and taking the heat, you know, yep. and so I did. Mine was very similar. As a child, third or fourth grade, moving from the Bay Area to Sacramento, where I was still in a predominantly mixed neighborhood, I went to an all-white school. So it, I, they wouldn't let me play nothing. Like, no, at recess, lunchtime, I couldn't play any sports. I was nigger this, nigger that. So I was chasing the kids around, beating them up, fighting, until that one day I finally got an opportunity to play sports with them. And then they saw that I could play football, basketball, and baseball. And that was kind of the opening to, okay, well, shit, he's not that bad. He's just not the same color. But he's yeah. a cool dude, and I think through sports was my way of kind of, you know, allowing people to see who I was as a person and not just the color of my skin. So it's crazy because you just don't understand as a child, like, they don't like me. Why? Like, I've never met them. How come they don't like me? Strictly exactly. for the color of your skin. It's crazy. Yeah, I did nothing oh, wrong. But sports is amazing because the thing I love about sports is it, um, people want to win. Yeah. And they forget color quick. Yeah. Uh, and like the reason I love basketball is because there's a score. There's nobody up there like judging and then deciding, well, you guys win uh, because it wouldn't go so well for us if that was true. Yeah. So that's what makes sports so great. Yeah, absolutely. So now we talked since we talking about Chicago. Tell me this. How, how rough was Chicago in your upbringing? It was rough. But, you know, I don't think you know what, you know, Maywood was a, a little nicer than a lot of the other places. You know, it was a lower middle class place. 
you know, maybe with now is, is really rough. Uh, but it might have been, you know, I remember this is a true story. Um, I want to say Michael or, or, or Sam Bowie, one of them, they all came. We made, I made the Playboy All-American team in college. And we, we got to go to the Playboy match, and I won't tell any stories about that outside there. <laughs> um, but we, we went to my house one night because my mom wanted to make everybody dinner because it was in Chicago. And I read years later, they said, man, where Doc lives. And I was like, are you kidding me? So <laughs> my point is, uh, I think when you're growing up, it is what you have. You don't yeah. look at it as, as rough. Like, right. I mean. That's all you know. Too, yeah, it's what you know. My best two right. friends are, are from Maywood, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, shoot, man, I love growing up there. I don't. I couldn't have picked a better place. Right. I love it. Right. When did you find, when did basketball become a part of your life? Oh, early, early. Uh, my uncle Jim Brewer played, uh, you know, at Proviso. Uh, went on to go to University of Minnesota. Played in the NBA. Uh, I think overall, Provisory's high school has 11 NBA players uh, from one high school that is not a recruiting, it's just local kids. Mm, um, you know, from Mike Finley, I mean, we can keep naming them. Uh, but it's, so it was always in my mind. I've always wanted to be uh, a basketball player, young, young. Mm. I didn't know I wanted to be a basketball coach. <laughs> that, that came late, but, mm. but playing was a no-brainer for me. Was uh so he was younger than you I think, but Benji Wilson, you remember hearing about him? Were you already in the league by the time he his wave came through Chicago? Yeah, I want to say I was probably about my sixth or seventh year, but we all knew each other. Uh -huh. um, and they used to have the best summer league, uh, the Chicago State, uh, the summer league in Chicago was off the charts. That's back when all the NBA players could come. You can play in different summer leagues. Um, uh -huh. Places packed. It's free to get in. And, uh, you know, they would always put a high school team in. You mm -hmm. know, I got to play as a senior in high school against all the pros. We actually, my junior year, we actually made it to the finals. Wow. Uh, uh, high school team. Now, that high school team had Mark McGuire, Isaiah Thomas, Daryl Walker, Damn. Uh, Terry Cummins. Uh, <laughs> Man. We were loaded. What? Uh, yeah. <laughs> we were loaded. Hell but, yeah. you know, so um, I think we played like Ricky Sobers and Reggie Theus and Artis mm -hmm. Gilmore. You know, a lot of the bull players. Mm -hmm. So that, those are the best days. Uh, but Ben, you heard, I never got to see him in person, guys, but they said that that kid was wonderful. And what made it so sad is growing up, we were protected. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, no one touched the athletes. Mm -hmm. and, and clearly that has changed, which tells yeah. you a lot of things have changed. Unfortunate. Yeah. So very decorated high school career, um, All-American across the board. What made you choose Marquette? Close, close to home. Um, you know, I wanted my parents to be able to come to the games. I didn't want to go too close. The Paul is where, like, Isaiah, Mark, and I had said we'd all go. Mark went. Isaiah went to Indiana. So I, I always blame Isaiah ruined it. So, uh, <laughs> and then I, I wasn't going. It was just too close. So Marquette was close enough. And I knew Rick Majerus, uh, mm -hmm. Rick, who was a great coach. And, great coach. Rest uh, in peace. I've been going to his basketball camp since freshman in high school. Uh, so they pretty much had me from the start. So hold on. So you, Isaiah Thomas, and Mark Aguirre were all discussing on going to DePaul? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Could you imagine yeah, that? Yeah, almost happened. Uh, Mark and Isaiah, we, I thought Isaiah was going to go. Uh and then he decided to go to Indiana. 
and Isaiah early on was recruiting me to go to Indiana with him because uh, I was the following year. And and then I saw how that was working, and I was like, oh, <laughs> So who else, who else was recruiting you, Coach? I could have gone anywhere. Um, but I, I ended up uh, narrowing it down with Michigan. You know, here's a crazy story. Derek Harper and I got to know each other from the, from the five-star basketball camp. So Derek and I decided, let's team up. So Derek and I were both going to University of Michigan. Uh, Johnny Orr was the coach. Johnny Orr then calls us and says, hey, guys, I just took a new job to Iowa State. And do you guys want to come? I was like, no, man. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was the answer. And so Derek ended up at Illinois, and that's what changed to the Marquette part. But there was a time, a uh, very good chance that Derek and I would have ended up at the same school. Mm-hmm. So what, was, what was it like at Marquette? It was great. You know, um, we were good. Uh, I think we made it to the final 16. Uh, you know, I, I would say in a lot of ways, Matt Marquette in some ways kind of saved my life in, in, in the fact that I didn't really, I wasn't really into school, um, you know, and then I got to Marquette and I met this professor that my freshman year that just decided, oh no, you, you're going to be a student. Um, and he wouldn't let go. Like he just, he wouldn't let go. And by the end of it, I was going to his house. Uh, he was my tutor. And, you know, I didn't like him uh, early on. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I actually couldn't stand him because, <laughs> I mean, that was like, what, no other student has to do this. Right. Uh, and, he, and he kept saying, man, you, you, you have knowledge. You, you just got to learn how to write and talk. And so, um, I mean, Dr. Wolf was his name. And I'm thank God that he came into my life. So in college, who were some of the toughest opponents you faced? Oh, man, Louisville. Uh, Louisville was rough. They had uh, the McCray brothers, mm-hmm. if, if you remember that. Rod, too Rod, young. No, I remember yeah, Rod, uh, Rodney, right? Who was the brother, yeah. though? Yeah, and he had the McCray brothers, so they were tough. Iowa was really tough. Um, you know, DePaul, heck, we had to deal with Mark. So we played Houston. And uh, that's when they had Clyde, Rob Williams. You remember Rob Williams? Yep. Uh, was really good. And then this African guy came in. <laughs> and, and it was crazy. Hakeem. He was a freshman, and he hadn't played much that year. Yeah. And he came in, like, in the middle of the first half, just blocking, throwing our, blocking our shots. And I remember Hank Raymond and Rick Majerus at halftime losing their mind. Like, this kid never plays. Who is this? <laughs> and it, it, you know, it's funny. It turned out to be Elijah one. So, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> but he couldn't play. He just knew how to block everybody's shot. Mm. Uh, it's amazing how good he got and how quickly he did it. You know what's funny is, like you said, all said and done, maybe one of the most skilled bigs ever as far as footwork uh, and, and pace of play. And to think that in college it was just athlete, raw athleticism and how much he improved in a short amount of time. It really is. You know, you think about, like, fundamentally sound footwork. Um, you know, when you think footwork, you think him, Tim Duncan, Kevin McHale. Yep. And I don't know if you go further than that. Right. Not really, not for bigs. It's crazy. You, hey, you, you, could, you could throw Embiid in that category. He, he got a oh, hell man. of a footwork yeah, he, for a big man. I think he he's the first seven-footer we see that can Euro step at full speed. He got Euro <laughs> step. He got the up and under. Uh 
his up and under may be the slowest up and under I've ever seen. <laughs> and it's so effective. Like right. the first couple of times in practice, I'm like, I know he just traveled. Uh, because it's so slow. And then when you look at it, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, you know, he's got the same thing those two guys had, though. He could shoot. Mm. Yep. And he's figured it out, man. He sets that all up with that little up fake, and you got to honor it because he can mm-hmm. shoot the ball. So Absolutely. he has great feel. 1983, second-round draft picks of the Atlanta Hawks. Take us back a little bit because the, the NBA is struggling with image in the early 80s. It's too black. There's too much drugs. Your first year is Commissioner Stern's first year. What was going into the NBA like in 83? It was it was not a good league, guys. Uh, it was drug infested, um, pretty nasty league when I first came in. You know, beer everywhere in the locker room, uh, guys smoking cigarettes. Uh, I, mean, I tell you, it, it, it was crazy. We we had and I'm not going to use the name, but we we had a, a a meeting one time. Me and Randy Whitman with Mike Fratello, our head coach. He brought us in his in his room and said, "Hey, don't give this guy any money." And I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm not giving anybody money anyway. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, it was, a, it was a teammate. And he was worried about the guy using it for drugs. And, mm. and so, but I, I tell you, it changed in like three years. It was amazing how quickly uh, the league, uh, the players changed. Uh, and went to the whole other side of being Pro players, uh, yeah. you, you didn't see it anymore. You didn't hear about it anymore. Um, but I, I tell you, my first three years, that was a rough league, really rough. Teaming up with the young Dominique Wilkins. Mm. How great was Neek? I love him. I love him. Still one of my favorite guys, you know. Um, he he was, man, he, was, he didn't get enough due. Um, Mm-mm. He was a monster. How good he was offensively. He was he was as in, in unstoppable of a player uh, that has ever played offensively. Wow. Uh, can do everything. Um, I mean, I've never seen a guy miss a shot and then tip dunk his yeah. shot. Yeah, right. You know, and, and when I was young in basketball camps, kids would always ask me, "Have you ever been dunked on?" And I said, "Every game by my <laughs> by my teammate." You know. <laughs> I don't know how many times I thought I was getting an offensive rebound. And, and then all of a sudden, this guy is jumping over me. Uh, you know, he had this saying, a lot of people can go to first uh, to the top floor, but very few people can go to the penthouse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where he used to tell me, I, like, when you throw the ball, throw it to the penthouse. Uh, mm. Throw it where nobody else can go. Mm-hmm. And so he made me, you know, I had years where I had 10 assists, I had 26 assist games. Wow. And I was I was a good player, but that was, you know, I was good. But Dominique, you know, man, you could bat, you could throw the ball anywhere and he was gonna go get it. That's so he made me really good. So you guys are in the process of building a winner in Atlanta. You guys played the Celtics big three in mm. the playoffs in eighty-six and eighty-eight. Mm. What were those matchups like? They're brutal. Uh I mean they were just so deep and good. We had them, Matt, the one time. We were up 3-2 in that in that great series. And you remember the Game 7, the Dominique mm. Bird series. Shot for um, shot. Shot for shot. And, you know, I think I ended up that game with, like, you know, 18 points, 15 assists, Ooh. six rebounds. Uh, Randy Whitman was 12 for 12. Uh, I think there were five turnovers combined 
in that game. It wow. was one of the most perfect play games that game seven. Uh, but at the end of the day, Mikhail and, Perry, uh, uh, and Larry Bird, Larry Bird that night was, listen, it uh, was unbelievable. And he was so clutch. Mm-hmm. Meek was just as clutch that night. It's just that Larry in the fourth quarter was unstoppable. But that was a, that Boston team uh, is one of the greatest teams ever assembled. Uh, that, 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 that front line was, they were, they were tough. Mm. I said Bird had 20 of his 34 in the fourth quarter. Dominique had <laughs> Dominique had 17 of his 47 in the fourth quarter, and they were going, they bucket, was going bucket down the street. Oh, they was going at it. Oh, man. You know, it was crazy, too, because it's rare in a game. You feel it. Like, you know, you guys have been in games where after the games, people say, man, that was the most amazing game, but you were in it. And you're like, you know, I, I, I didn't feel that. I knew it was mm-hmm. a good game. Right. That was one of the few games I was you in. Knew it. This this was, was a hell of a game was right it. now. <laughs> it was a hell of a game. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. You, hey, they, they, uh, they say you battled with Danny Ainge, but you went to work on him later. Yeah, yeah. I, I like Danny. You know, it's, it's funny. I talk more trash to Danny. You know, people, for, people forget how hated Danny Ainge was. Oh, yeah, right? he was. He was. People he got under your skin. They did not like him because, you know, Danny's an instigator. Uh, he really is. Uh, and who was it? Snell three hit Danny Ainge um, when he was with the Sixers. Mm-hmm. And Snell three got enough money from fans to pay for his fine. <laughs> Think about that. That's, that's crazy. Uh, yeah, that's funny as hell. And Danny loved it. That's who Danny is. Like, right, he, yeah. he wants to be the instigator. Danny's an instigator as a, as a president of GM. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he really is. Danny wants to instigate stuff uh, because he's as competitive as a dude that I've ever been around. Mm, yeah, cool. I love Danny. He drafted me, so that I love. I, I forever love Danny Ames. That's my guy. Now he's the best. I, I tell you, our relationship is the way it should work. Like, if you want to win, um, because it, it's not just your team, it's not just the coach, it's not just the players, but when the coach in the, in the front office is lockstep and everything, like Danny and I had, I'm telling you guys, we had arguments about players, and then we go to dinner. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, how it's supposed to be. And we start laughing about it, and we had this thing like, you know, I'll give you one, and you give me one. And then what that meant was every once in a while, Danny will come in with a trace. Oh, hell no. We're not doing that trade. No. <laughs> no. Because uh, Danny loves trades. Like, he, 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 every day he's talking about a trade. He's a master uh, at it. That's and, funny. But then I would say most of the time I, was, I would give in and say, let's do it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and so he was great to work for. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what yeah. I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college? Because he didn't need it. <laughs> 
<laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative. The 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale 1 million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field, from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work, in traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. You often matched up against the best opposing guard. What was it like guarding guys, guys like Jordan and Isaiah? Ooh, Isaiah I grew up playing against. Um, it's, it's funny. We, we had some battles. Uh, we were ranked number one and two in high school, and they beat us um, in a big game. Uh, they knocked us out of the my junior year. Uh, they knocked, knocked us out of the state tournament. Uh, we played that same year in a Christmas tournament. Uh, Think about this. That was in 19, I don't know, years, 1970 or 19, yeah, 1979. My brother sold a, uh, a ticket for a high school game in 1979 for $500. Oh, that's insane. Think about that. That's how Man. big that, that game was. It was like one of the biggest games ever because Isaiah was the number one player in the country as a senior, and I was the number one player in the country as a junior. Uh, we're from the same area. Uh, it, it was a war that night. Uh, his brother was was intimidating the refs. Uh, Isaiah's brother was out on the sideline <laughs> scaring the refs. Uh, Birdie. Which, to this day, I still believe played a part in the, the decision yeah. of that game. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And then, um, you know, Michael was just tough. Michael was, Michael was ruthless. Um, people don't get, like, when we talk about Michael, the guys who played against them, I don't. I mean, Kobe uh, approached uh, 
his competitiveness. Uh, other than that, I've never seen anyone more competitive. Um, I remember his rookie year is my second year, and he got up to an amazing start. And we played him. I remember after the game, I, my first thought: There's no way he can play that hard all season. Wow! And like ten years later, he was still playing the same way. It, it was just. I was amazed how much he gave on the defensive end and the offensive end and his energy level at, at which he played. Like, um, I don't know if there have been anything like that. So that's why, you know, I, I hate comparing, like, the generations because LeBron's going to end up having the greatest career ever. Um, their rookie stats, Doc, their rookie stats are damn near the same. They are. Like, and, and you know, I still, for me, Michael's the greatest player ever. But LeBron is going to have the greatest career ever. Yes, yes. Um, and, and what he's doing right now mm. is incredible. So mm. it's it's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, the toughest guy for me to guard was Magic. Um, because, you know, um, Matt, you have the twins at home, right? Yep. And, and, and so when you're playing in the backyard and you're playing against them, you know how you look over them like they're little children and, <laughs> That's how Magic was doing you? <laughs> that's how Magic did everybody. And I was a great defender, and I'd get up into him the first game, and he had that smirk like yeah. he's looking over top of you. <laughs> it, and it pissed me off. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm like, this dude is, like, chopping me right now. Right. And there's not, not a lot you can do with it because he was right, so big. Right. You know, he was big, man. Big People, shit. He is a big dude. Mm -hmm. um, and just he was – so for me – he was the hardest because of size, but Michael was the best I had to guard. Mm, tough. So as the 80s turned to the 90s, uh, you had a quick stint with the Clippers, helping them reach the playoffs, and then off to New York. Uh, what yeah. was your thoughts being able to head to the Mecca and play for Legendary, someone who started out West and then ended up as, you know, the, the Mafia Pat comes to the Knicks. What was that experience <laughs> like? Changed my life. I, I never wanted to coach until I played for Pat Riley. Mm. Um, I had done internships, doing TV, that's what I was going to do, you know. And then I played for Pat Riley and just motivationally and how he, he has this ability to make you buy in as a group and and hate every other team. Like, um, you know, it got to the point you didn't like anybody. Like, Michael and I had a hell of a relationship, uh, Jordan, until I played for the Knicks. And, <laughs> and, 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 and that was it. Oh, no. It was over. It was over. <laughs> uh, but that's how, like, you play for Riley, man. He was the best. And, and we, we were good. You know, yeah. we, think about it. We had home court um, mm -hmm. against the Bulls in that series. You guys were um, up 2-0, up then they won four straight. And, you know, watching the, that, that documentary this summer was torture uh, mm. for me. You know, we were up 2-0, and you remember they talked about it. They had a five-day break, a four-day break in between – Game two and three, and for four days they talked about Michael Jordan and gambling. Yeah, playing golf. And even I knew we knew then. I said, "Man, Trouble. this 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 is not good." Because <laughs> all you're doing is poking the bear, and yeah, we wasn't yeah. doing it. Like I kept saying, "Like I, it's one thing if it's us, right?" But it's the media, and it just kept going. Mm. And I think Michael had like fifty something game mm. three, game four. He did it again, and we had him in game five, man. Um, you know, we did miss some free, big free throws, and then Charles had that that three layup, uh, you know, play. But other than that, uh, yeah, that was that's the toughest loss of my life. Oh, um, yeah. I would say, you know, as a player, that, that was the most difficult loss uh, that I've ever had. 
So the next season, you guys go to the finals. You're injured. You feel like you're coming back and you're ready to play, and Riley doesn't activate you. How did that happen? How did that? What was the interaction between you guys after that? Not good. You know, um, the the reason is, and it's it's called the Doc Rivers rule. Basically, back then you had to change. You had to uh, give your 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 roster before the first round of the playoffs, mm-hmm. and once you said it, you mm. couldn't change it. Wow. So the doctors were telling Riles that there's a very good chance that I could be healthy by the finals, but they couldn't guarantee it. What uh, uh what in, what injury did you have at the time? At ACL. Oh ACL. shit. Yeah, so it was a big injury, and yeah. what what killed and Riley wrote about it in his book was um, so it hurt our relationship because I was pissed. I was putting in I was putting in the time. It would have been seven eight months, so it had been very early. Uh, to come back. I've been the earliest at that point, but I had done the work and he calls me in, he makes that decision and, and I was crushed, man, because I, I worked my butt off. Uh, but I kept working. We go through it. We keep going. We get to the finals and by the finals, we have a practice and I'm practicing that. And you can see Riley looking at me like, oh, man. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, the, the guy's practicing that. <laughs> nice. So... Uh, and, you know, Starks goes two for 18 in that mm. one game. Um, I'm sitting on the bench in street clothes. Mm. You know, that was, that was a hard one for me because you, you play your life. At least I did. I wanted to, to win a title, miles. man. Yeah, absolutely. And um, sitting in street clothes, that was, that was brutal. That was mm. brutal for me, um, mm. uh, especially with that team. That was such a great team. Anthony Mason and Charles Smith, Charles Oakley, John Starks, Greg Anthony. I mean, we had some dogs. That, yeah. that was a rough basketball team, and mm-hmm. and I just love playing for them and with them. How did you get on the um, How did you get on the coaching track after you left the Spurs? You know, Sydney, you probably know this story a little bit. Um, I had no interest in coaching, um, and then I, I played for Riles, and I start thinking maybe I want to coach. And when I retired from the Spurs, um, I, I got an offer from NBC to do the, the telecast and TNT. I chose TNT. I get a call from Pop, mm-hmm. um, and Pop wants me to be the assistant for uh, for Bob Hill. Um, but you know, it was more Pop's idea, right, than Bob's idea. And so that's I all like, that matters yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. I was smart enough to know that this was, that that that's not good. So. Uh, I turned that down, uh, and then I, I did the TNT for the three years, um, and it was great because, you know, at that point, I think Pop takes over, so I got to watch him do his job. I got an offer from Milwaukee in the second year, and I turned it down. Um, I just wasn't ready, honestly. Um, you know, to coach, I just gotten out the league, but they offered me the job. I turned that down. Uh, and, you know, in any profession, you turn a job down, it's like, man, we've got to get them. Right. You know, it, right. It, I didn't do it on for that reason. But that next right. year, I had two offers. I could have coached uh, the Wizards. Uh, Wes Unsell was the GM. They offered me the job or, or the Magic, and I chose the Magic because mm-hmm. uh, we knew they were going to rebuild. Um, and, you know, my first year, I, I won Coach of the Year with guys that uh, you guys would identify with, yeah. you know. Like that was you guys played against that team. That was a hard, hard work. Go out long, Ben yeah. Wallace. I, we didn't have the problem with our team is when it got down the stretch, we had nobody to go to. Uh, yeah, yeah. But 
that team was so fun to coach, and it taught they me. Are. I couldn't have had a more perfect first year because we didn't have like a lot of great offensive players. I had to think outside the box. Um, I had to create ATOs on 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 the spur of the moment, um, and that served me well for the rest of my coaching career. How excited were you when the when Orlando traded for T Mac that summer? Oh man, listen, you know. So first of all, we had a chance. Um, that was all free agency. We, 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 John Gabriel was a GM. He did an amazing job. Like we had Disney involved. Uh, some of the stuff we did when we brought those guys in. So T-Mac, uh, I think Grant Hill was first and Grant Hill said yes. Grant Hill said yes, by the way, when he got off the plane. So, uh, we, he could have got back on the plane. He was already coming. Um, then we brought in Tim Duncan and Tim Duncan at all. He basically said yes. You know, um, there's that rumor about me and his girlfriend. That's not completely true. Um, but John Calipari, I called John and I said, hey, man, I think we got Tim. And he said, you got him? And I said, yeah. He said he's probably coming, uh, but he just needed to go back to San Antonio um, to have one more visit. He said, well, you, you, you lost him. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I remember Cal telling me that. And I was like, what? He said, Listen, there's a rule in college. You don't let them off the campus until they sign. Mm. You never let them off the campus. Mm. And so for, I remember a three-day period, I was panicked. Like, oh, my gosh. And, then, and he obviously went back to San Antonio, which for him was the right decision. Yeah. Then we had a crazy decision. Um, you know, for a second, we thought we'd get all three, but we didn't have <laughs> money. But for two. Think about that decision. If Tim Duncan had decided to come. We would have to make a choice between Tracy McGrady, Oof, Tim tough. Duncan, and Grant Hill. Hill. Wow. Uh, and back then, it probably would have been Tim and Grant because uh, we didn't know T-Mac was going to be enough. what T-Mac was right. uh, at that point. So, uh, but T-Mac, man, I, I, he was another one. Just He was natural. Um, mm -hmm. um, could do everything, could score, could pass, could really defend uh, when he wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the thing that hurt T-Mac with us was Grant Hill got injured. You know, I never yeah. saw Grant, really. I yeah. think uh, the two and a half years I was with Grant, he played 10 games. Yeah. So They said he know, played. He only played 47 games between the 2000 season and the 2004 season. So, what a four-year span. Yeah, span, yeah and that was, that was rough because, you know, we had put so much money into that and, and didn't, you know, not that sport. He was injured. Right. Couldn't play. Right. And, and that changed. It really changed my future. You know, probably for the best yeah. <laughs> when you look at it, because yeah. it, 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 it led me to Boston. So yeah, yeah. at the end of the day, it was probably the best thing. But there's a lot of times in your life you think the worst thing is happening and it turns out to be the best. Be the best yeah. I want to uh, backtrack a little bit with the for the people who don't kind of know the story. You said with Tim Duncan and his girlfriend, T. Mackett said a situation where it was a situation that he said, you or the team wouldn't allow family to travel, and that kind of deterred Tim's decision. You said that's kind of not how it went with it. No, Any... it, it isn't, but it's it's true. Like, Tim, Tim, uh, the Spurs were allowing families on board, and at the time, we hadn't done that at all. Mm -hmm. And when we had our story, uh, our talk, I said, no, I'll be open to that, uh, just not every trip. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so that was not a big deal, uh, mm -hmm. but it was a factor. There's no mm -hmm. doubt about that. Uh, but let me just say this. Tim called me and said, hey, Doc, I'm, I want to come. Uh, but one thing, 
my girlfriend has to travel. I would probably, especially back then, ask him, what seat do you want? <laughs> right. You wanted to fly the plane, too? What she need? It, Tell it, me. Whatever, whatever works, you know. <laughs> right. But that was, you know, I'm sure that that was a small factor because she did travel a lot. I guess I don't even know that mm-hmm. uh, with them. And you know, Matt, you 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 played for me. I yep. I had no problem with family. Very traveling. yeah, very open with uh, that. Yep. But the problem with families traveling usually was the players would come to me and say, "Hey, man." Such and such his wife is traveling too much. Hey, <laughs> hey, 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 Doc. Hey, Doc. Just let me say this: from being Tim Duncan's friend, you were a great judge of character. <laughs> just let me. Leave, <laughs> we gonna leave it at that. <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> Real quick before we get off this duo, um, in your opinion, knowing Grant, knowing what T Mac turned into, how great could that duo have been oh. if Grant could have been healthy? Man. I think we would have been unbelievable. And, and, and think about this: we drafted Mike Miller too. Mm-hmm. So we he won had, Rookie of the Year. He won Rookie of the Year that year, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. And Matt, we had one game. Maybe, I think it was one or two games where we started Grant Hill, T Mac, and Mike Miller at the one, two, and three. Mm. Think about our, our smallest guy was six eight. Mm. Oh, I, I remember we played in Minnesota and just destroyed them uh, because. All three can handle. All three yeah. can play. All three can shoot. It was it was beautiful to watch them play, and unfortunately, it never happened. So those two together, because because mm-hmm. Grant was such a uh, unselfish player, oh, he man. didn't need to be a scorer. Um, and Mike was such a great shooter. I think the fit would have been perfect. Well, I mean, you touched on earlier, people don't realize how good Dominique was. People, unless you're a real basketball, you don't realize how good Grant Hill was prior to his injury. He was I on do. pace to be a top 10 player in the history of the game. People were comparing him to Michael. Yes. You know, like, I don't think anyone, most, like, I know, like, when I talked to Austin, the great example, and Austin was there, but he was so young. Doesn't understand. Um, you know, he remembered T-Mac only, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, T-Mac was his guy. Uh, you know, because, but when you, I used to say, man, Grant, Grant, and I also remember was, Grant was hurt. Yeah. You know, uh, so it's amazing how many of the young guys, if you mentioned Grant Hill, they probably think, you mean the commentator on TNT? (laughs) No, no idea. The killer, the killer, the killer from Detroit. That's what we're talking about. That's what I patted my game after Grant. Man, he drew more fouls. You remember he drew fouls like Mm -hmm. that, that Grant Hill cut across the lane. I mean. It was amazing. He was good. Being able to cross over at full speed. It was, he was a dunk on you uh 2003 playoffs against a tough pistons team up 3-1 uh can't close it out how rough was that moment like you said you guys have developed a, you know, amazing it was, rough. it was rough but listen we were an eight seed mm-hmm. you know people forget like and i have the unfortunate history of losing three three one leads but uh we were the eight seed have you ever go and looked at those two teams like, I, I always tell people on that, I should have got more credit for getting up 3-1. <laughs> and, and that's a fact. Like, I, I, I want you one day to go look at the teams. Uh, that team, Detroit, ended up winning it. Yeah. Uh, you know. They were loaded. They were loaded. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I still, to this day, think I'm the creator of Tayshaun Prince because we had them on the ropes. And um, – Tayshawn comes in game five. You know, he hadn't played much. Yep. They didn't play him much at all. And then uh, Rick Carlisle puts in Tayshawn Prince. 
And at the end of that game, like, he plays really well. And for game five, he starts. Game six. By game seven, he was like their go-to guy. Mm. Uh, it was crazy how quickly that changed. And, you know, they start double-teaming T-Mac, which they should. Mm-hmm. And and we were throwing it to, you know, Andrew the Clerk and Gordon Gearsack. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> we, 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 we didn't have a lot of places to go. And, and we knew that going into series. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't double team them early, and mm. T Mac, T Mac single handedly uh, got us up three one. And then unfortunately, he struggled from there, but not because of him. They just mm-hmm. sent the whole team at him, and they, yeah. they dared somebody else on our team to beat him. Yeah. So next season, you get off to a rough start after eleven games. You guys part ways. Looking back on that Orlando experience, what was the most frustrating part about the whole thing? Well, that we, we couldn't get healthy. I mean, no Grant Hill. Yeah. Uh, that's the bottom line. Um, we didn't trade at Mike Miller, which turned out to be a terrible trade. Uh, because of no Grand Hill, we were trying to get more players, right? So yep. it, that thing set up the whole thing. Um, it was time to go, honestly. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't say that often, but uh, that, that next year we start out, like three or four starters are out on a, on a very below average team. Um, you know, I'm, I'm being honest. It was I felt like when John Gabriel walked in my uh, room, I was like, I hope he's telling me that that's the last <laughs> thing. <laughs> you know, he was ready, huh? He said, I'm, Yeah, I was ready. And I think they need. were ready, too. They need right. to go in another direction. And, yep. you know, I always look back on that. Without that start, I wouldn't be here. So you go, you take a break, do a little bit of TV. What was it like getting a call from the Celtics? Well, it was crazy. You know, the first day off my job, Isaiah calls me. And he wants to talk about New York. And I, I told Isaiah, no way am I coaching right now. <laughs> I'm taking the rest of this year off. Yeah. Going to chill. I got to do uh, the NBA with, with, with Al Michaels. Wow, you know, nice. Think about it. I was mm-hmm. doing the NBA games with the great Al Michaels, uh, who's become one of my best friends. And, and so that was cool. Uh, it's funny. Danny calls me and says he wants to um, talk. And I won't, I said, no, man, you got a coach right now. And he was like, Doc, it's an interim coach. I said, Danny, I just, I don't want to be seen talking to you. It's just a bad <laughs> look, you know. Uh, so I was all concerned. So Danny, as Danny Ainge is, he says, all right, Doc, it's an interim coach. All right, so um, why don't you, let's meet, okay, and just talk. And we'll meet in a, a place where, like, nobody will know. And I said, Sure. And I said, I'll do that as long as no one can see us. And I say, when? He said, uh, right now, I'm at the Ritz out at Disney in a suite. I want you to, so he had already flown in. <laughs> you know? And it was crazy. So I drive way out. We're in a room talking. And he says, I want you to be the coach. And I said, man, I don't, I don't know, Danny. That, you know, you looked at that team back then. They were not very good. Mm-hmm. And he had this whole plan. Like, he kept talking about this plan and, so uh, I said no, uh, and then about, you know, right when they fired uh, the interim coach, he calls and say, hey, man, uh, open your gate. That's how he called. Like, he didn't call and say he wanted to talk. He tells me to open my gate <laughs> uh, at my house, and I, well, I look out. popping up. There, there's an SUV outside. <laughs> and so I open the door, and Danny and all three owners walk in. <laughs> no heads and up or nothing. No heads yeah. up at all. Yeah, and I started laughing. I was like, Danny, man, you, you're an aggressive dude. <laughs> <laughs> you 
he started laughing. He says, I know what I want. Mm. Um, I got a plan. Uh, you're in the plan. Mm. And so I took the job, you know, and it was, it was, I'm glad I, I took the job guys. Cause it was the Celtics, mm-hmm. not because they had a team that you thought you could win with at that right. point. Right. I took the job because, you know, and, and I remember uh, saying if the Celtics, the Lakers or the Knicks offer me a job right now, I got to take it Yeah, because those are the teams, you know, for me growing up, uh, you you would have to take. So what was Danny's vision that actually became your vision after that? What was he selling you on outside of the tradition of, of, of being a Celtics coach? Yeah, we were going to rebuild. We're going to do it through the draft. We're going to do it through free agency. Um, And it would take three or four years. Uh, he did say one thing, and he was right. It's, it's, it's going to be a couple tough years for you, uh, but I'll protect you. Now, you guys know, like I know, uh, that doesn't happen often. Not at all. Uh, it really doesn't. So I, I tell coaches all the time, I was one of the lucky ones. Like, mm. we were – we lost 18 games in a row. Mm. Um, we were struggling. And I had a GM every single game, and I'm not exaggerating, after every game – if he wasn't there, he would call, I'm sorry, hang in there. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, hang in there. Trust me, we're going to get this right. Because wow. there were, I mean, I was getting booed. Um, there were there were games where people were wearing paper bags with Fire Doc, Fire Danny on. <laughs> um, and I used to come in sometimes, I'm like, Danny, you're off scouting someone. You don't have to take this heat. Right, yeah. every day. I, I, I got to take it every day, every mm-hmm. press conference. I mean, I'm getting, I remember Bill Simmons was, pushing to get me fired because I wasn't playing Marcus Banks. You, 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 you know what I mean? Like, oh, um, hey, hey, don't say, excuse me, coach. I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you, but don't say that name too loud on this show. Matt, <laughs> Matt has nightmares of Marcus Banks. We can't really t- tell you the story, but just know. Matt has nightmares of Marcus Banks. Marcus Banks crossed him over, Doc, and he never forgot that. He's never forgot it. <laughs> Matt, Matt ran him down and tried to hard follow. That's a Matt. <laughs> uh, I should have. The way he crossed me and, and I tripped. But uh, back to your story. Fuck you, Jack. Back to your story, Doc. <laughs> yeah, so that was, you know, and um, so it was crazy because we, we, we thought we were going to get the first pick in that lottery with KD um, and uh, Greg Odom, right? And you know, we're sitting in the room. I remember on the draft when they did the lottery. <laughs> You're talking about a depressing moment. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we lose all these games. We're struggling. We got Paul Pierce, so we know we got one. And then we get, like, the fifth pick. And I'm sitting around thinking. And the thing that I remember the most about that day, Danny was not deterred. Danny had a second. He was already had already moved on. And he immediately said, we're going to get Kevin Garnett. We're going to go after Kevin Garnett. Mm. And I'm thinking, all right, well, Paul and Kevin, we've got something going. Definitely. People don't remember that Kevin turned us down. Kevin had a no trade clause in his contract. And so we had a deal for Kevin Garnett on draft day. And Kevin said, no, I'm not coming. Y'all y'all not good enough. Mm. And so we then did half of that trade and went out and got ring out. And so – then Kevin calls his agent and says, wait a minute, they got Paul Pierce and Ray Allen. I want to come to the Celtics. Mm-hmm. The problem is we gave away half the package <laughs> to Seattle. And yeah. so I'm thinking, 
now we're not going to get Kevin. And I remember the day that I knew we were going to get him. Uh, I was golfing with Mikhail and Danny and Johnny Joe, our equipment manager. And uh, Kevin and I are in the card, and Kevin says, man, I just want the best young big man available. I don't care what else I get. And right when he said that, I was thinking, we're going to get Kevin Garnett. Mm -hmm. uh, because Al Jefferson was the best young big man it was nice. in the league. Mm -hmm. And right when he said that, I just figured, I didn't know who else. I remember when Danny told me to trade. I don't remember it to this day. I just know Al was in it. And I'm telling you, it felt like eight other guys. Like Danny gave them everybody. Yeah. And the only one that Danny would not give up was Rondo. Mm. He wanted uh, to keep KG said he wanted to keep that African kid. We had uh, KG on the podcast. And to back up a little bit, he said he was waiting for Kobe to hit him back. He said he was back and forth. He said he really wanted to go play with Kobe, but he said Kobe wouldn't return his calls at all. And then I guess, right, actually. And then that's what led to you guys. But he said one thing, what he told us on the show was one thing. He's like, yo, y'all got to keep that African kid. Funny, it ends up being Rondo. So how important was it? to keep Rondo from his point of view and then what you guys saw Rondo's potential to be for that team? Well, we don't win it without him. I mean, he, he was the orchestrator. Um, and you guys been around Rondo a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Rondo's, oh, yeah. a hard, Rondo's a stubborn, hard-nosed, competitive <laughs> right. dude. Yes. Mm -hmm. And to keep those three happy, you needed somebody that, that would MF him. Yeah. And yeah. it is rare when you see a guy in his second year right. willing to tell Paul or Ray or Kevin, just right. back up. Right. Mm -hmm. I got this. You know, because uh, he had supreme confidence. And so we needed a personality like Rondo uh, to kind of keep those guys in check. And Rondo was an orchestrator, man. Like, um, the best game caller. You know how they call in baseball, the catchers are great mm -hmm. game callers. Rondo was the best game caller I've ever, ever coached. Like he knew he, he's a, one of the few guys I would give, you know, Matt, you saw that both of you saw that play sheet I always keep mm -hmm. uh, yeah. in my pocket with all those. I would give it one to Rondo before every game. Oh, wow. wow. And so That's when we came to the tam timeout, there were oftentimes I'm about to say like slice twist. Rondo's already total. Like, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, he would already know it or he would, he would look at me and we'd say something like uh, 15 down at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, like uh, our, our relationship that way, you, you can't get better uh, when your point guard and your head coach are locked mm -hmm. uh, as far as offensively and what you should be doing. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's a powerful feeling. It's rare. I don't yeah. think you get that very often. We had the luxury of interviewing Rondo. KG, Paul, we just interviewed Perk last week, and, you know, Rondo was adamant about, you know, you shaped him not only as a player but a man. And mm -hmm. then to hear what he did for you and be able to hold that team accountable, that's a dope. For me, interviewing, that's just dope because he told me how much you meant to him, and then you're telling me how much he meant to that team. And obviously, it was a special moment. It was. And, you know, Matt, I remember when I first started coaching, I got a lot of bad advice from other coaches, honestly, uh, that you don't get close to players. You don't talk, uh, get involved in, in their lives. And their, and I, I couldn't disagree with that more. I think you do. Uh, now, unfortunately, you'll lose a relationship here and there uh, right. because you're being honest with a guy. He's in a place doing something in his life. You know, I don't get involved in the silly stuff, but I just get involved in the man stuff. Right, you know? right. Um, 
and I just tell them the truth sometimes. And sometimes that goes well and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, it needed to be said. And, you know, I'm glad I've done it. And with Rondo and Perk, uh, because they were so young, man, like there were times you had to get involved. Um, yeah. That's not the way you carry yourself. That's not what you do, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and they didn't want to hear it. And you know both of them guys. Uh, <laughs> but at the end of the day, what it did, it built a relationship that'll last forever. Absolutely. Yeah. So what is your message? Obviously, you got you got your own big three now. What is your message to that team? Because obviously on paper, you look incredible. The expectations are through the roof. What are you telling the guys at this point? Right now, it's, it's not a really a message, Matt. It's, it's work. Like, okay. um, we have work to do. We're, we're, we're so far from being there. Um, and, and so, but the biggest thing I would say, the one word with this group is accountability. Like this team needed to be held accountable, um, for not just their play, for their actions, for everything. Uh, and not just me holding them accountable. We got to hold each other accountable. We got to all be accountable. And, uh, I think we're, we're not there, but we're working on it. We're much better. I love it. Um, Ubuntu, I probably pronounced it wrong. Tell me what that word meant and why it was so perfect for that team. It's really perfect for everyone in everyday life. A person is a person through other people. I can't be all I can be unless you are all you can be. Um, I can never be the, one of the greatest words in Ubuntu, and it's a philosophy. It's not just a word. Okay. Uh, Desmond Tutu um, and uh, Mandela used it to unify Africa. Uh, and and so when you go to Africa, they live in, they're trying to live an Ubuntu life. Um, and one of the greatest words or, or meaning or parts in it is this thing, I can never be threatened by your good because your good means I'm good. Right. You guys have been on teams where when one player starts being good, another player's threatened by it. Right. You, you, you know what I mean? Uh, the Clippers. Man, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you said it, not me. Um, but you know what's funny, Matt? You notice I didn't use the Mbutu stuff? No, we didn't. Uh, we were a different group, obviously. Like yeah, you said, yeah. every group was different. You know what's funny? Sam, like, why won't you use Mbutu with this group? I said, because we don't, we don't deserve it. <laughs> I'm not wasting that word. You know? I'm not even using it. And, All right. You know, and so that team didn't, unfortunately. Right. That that uh, team bugs me to this day. Oh, uh, man. Uh, you and everybody else, Doc. You and everybody uh, else. Man, man. I, I tell you, and Matt, you, you probably heard about some of the meetings. Yeah. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. But let's, get, let's get through the – we're going to get there. Let's get through the Celtics because yeah. I want to hear about this. So after, you know, you get through, you pick the word, you guys are bonding with it. What are practices like? Because like I said, that was one thing that all four of those guys had mentioned, no. that practices were fucking wars. It was awesome. I, I got to tell you on that word, though. So I, I come up with this word. Uh, I get it introduced to me by a trustee at Marquette. Uh, I'm on the board at Marquette as a trustee. And another one told this lady told me I need to study this word. And I did. So I, I love it. So I decided the first day of practice is in Rome. And so I grabbed Big Baby, Leon Pole. I can't remember the other rookies, but those were two of them. And we sit in my room for about two hours. It's like study hall. And I told them they're going to present this word to the team. And they can see that I was not messing around. Like, it ain't a joke. Like, we're not going to have fun with this. Mm. You're going to present this. And I got to tell you, Leon Poe and Baby, that next day, they, they threw down. Like, they, 
They hit every point, everything. And so they call in uh, Celtics, one, two, three, and Butu. And then practice starts. And this, Matt, the first practice, guys, this is when I knew. I said, we're on the seven. Mm-hmm. Paul Pierce calls one of those superstar fouls, you know, in practice. Uh, we're scrimmaging. Second unit versus first unit. Paul gets fouled. That's a foul. Um, Poe's like, no, nah, you ain't getting that. And Paul says, it's a foul. You know, Paul, I want the ball. And so me and Tom Thibodeau are sitting there, and Tibbs looks at me, you going to get involved? I said, no. So I'm, I want to see where this is going. They're arguing, and then uh, Posey just grabs the ball to Paul's hands and inbounds it, and they start going the other way. <laughs> and, and Eddie House makes a three and starts talking crap. You know Eddie House. Mm, yes. Can't stop Tony talking. Allen, Tony Allen then picks Ray. Goes down and dunks the ball and and starts talking. And Leon, I mean, uh, Leon Pullman, they were just all, they were on the first unit. They were like, no, we don't care who y'all are. Y'all not beating us. Mm. And the second unit destroyed them Mm. that first. They beat them all three uh, scrimmages. Wow. And on the bus back, they are all the talk because the phones wouldn't work, which I thought helped. You know, Mm. we're in Europe. Mm -hmm. That next day, it was a it was a devastation. The first unit, I mean, they beat the second unit so bad it was unbelievable. <laughs> uh, I knew that was coming. And, and every day it was back and forth, and and you loved it, yeah, uh, man. If you got a second group, that or if you have role players mm-hmm. that have the ability to keep the stars accountable, mm-hmm. uh, that that they they understand who they are, but we ain't letting you get away with crap. Right, right. man. You you got a hell of a team. And that's what we had. Posey was huge on that team uh, because of that. What was it like having KG and his energy around every day? Because his energy is not just on the court, it's off the court. But particularly on the court, what was it like, his energy, and how infectious was that? He's, uh, his whole, he changes the culture just with his actions every day. I've never seen a superstar that holds himself so accountable to the team. Mm-hmm. And every day... You know, me and him have, have some MF days uh, because I would try to take him out of practice. And and he didn't want to come out of practice. You know, he used to mumble you know, crazy stuff like, All Warriors, the time. Don't, Warriors don't come out of practice. Warriors don't come out of practice. I was like, all right, Warrior, well, you just got to sit down right now. Uh, <laughs> and, but was, I know Paul and him told you, so what he would do when you took him out of practice, he would start standing on the sideline and, and mocking what his guy was doing, it was in for him. Like if the guy jumped, he would jump. If the guy slid, he would slide. He was running on the side <laughs> of the court like he was running in the scrimmage. Yeah. And, and I'm sitting like, this dude I is crazy. This is, this is, this is, <laughs> it's a real nut. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't buy, like, Kevin was one of those guys, from afar, you're like, there's no way this energy is real. Come on, man. Nobody's got this much energy. It is. And then after two days of practice, I was like, this dude is real. It's for mm-hmm. real. And it was every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved how he held everybody accountable. Uh, don't mess up and shoot around, Matt. Now with KG. Oh, man. And then by the end of it, which I knew was, was hilarious, then Rondo started doing it. Oh. Like, mm-hmm. Rondo knew every play from five years ago. Like, he knows everything. And with Rondo, with me and Tom Thibodeau, he couldn't wait for us to make a mistake. 
<laughs> He'd be on and your ass, huh? Oh, he, he loved it. It made his day. He would actually laugh, like, and shoot uh -huh. around. <laughs> if I actually said, um, you know, like Matt Burns, you know, he goes right more. No, 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 no. He goes loud. <laughs> I mean, so it made you study. Like, right. I got to get this right. You had to be on I your shit. This, this little joker is going to be on me. Absolutely. So it, it was a great group to coach. I have a question. From the outside looking in, from the three superstars, it looked like, as players when we watched, that KG was kind of the one that took a step back and allowed Paul to continue to be great, Ray to do what he does, and he just plugged any kind of hole you guys had on any either side of the ball. Yeah, I, I would say that's true, even though I thought Ray probably had to give up the most shots. Yeah. You know, um, so – but KG was the easiest in that respect. But KG would do anything. I got on KG more. Uh, and I hope Paul didn't tell you the story. Before the Cleveland game won, I kept saying the word 20. I said, so 20. And the word is 20. And I kept saying 20. And everybody was looking at me. Kevin Garnett has to take 20 shots. Mm. 20 shots. Has 20. To. I said it like 19 times. Mm. And finally, the whole team started joining in. 20, 20, and Kevin was pissed <laughs> because, you know, I kept, because we needed him. Uh, I think Antoine Jameson was a power forward, and that was an advantage for us. Mm -hmm. um, and so Kevin, that first couple of games went off, mm -hmm. but we needed him to, to do that right. uh, because you had to get on Kevin to shoot because he was such a team player right. uh, that he wanted to keep the ball moving and play the right way. And I used to tell him, you know, Kevin, sometimes we're moving the ball to you. Right, that's the point. <laughs> we, we don't want you to pass it once it hits you. Right. You know, but uh, he was great. Yeah, so uh, 66 wins that season, uh, an elite defense. But when you guys get to the playoffs, it's wartime. Seven, yeah. take the, uh, the Hawks take you to seven. The Cavs take you to seven. Uh, LeBron had just coming off taking his team to the finals. Um, that game seven versus Cleveland. Um, talk to us a little bit about that. That was a war. You know, our team hadn't been tested. Matt, we didn't lose two games in a row that whole year. Mm -hmm. You know, so I was worried going into playoffs. Someone asked me before the playoffs started, what's your one concern? I said, we've had no adversity. Mm. You know, usually you have to go through something. And so that seven-game series against Atlanta was exactly what we needed. Because um, we lost two games – to Atlanta because the city of Atlanta. I'm just going to stop there. But I'm, I'm just Jack knows. I, li I live here, Doc. I know. Yeah, the city of Atlanta is undefeated, man. It, it, it is, it's, it's, un it's unbelievable. So we learned that lesson. Like, man, you got to do your job. Mm -hmm. um, then we get the defending champs in LeBron. And uh, we get to that game seven, man. Paul Pierce and LeBron, if you ever get time to watch a game, oh, those two guys, it. they – they were they were going at they were matching. It was very similar mm -hmm. to the Dominique Bird game. I yep. mean, they were mm -hmm. matching play by play. And the two biggest plays, one was a high school blockout on a on a uh, jump ball. They had inside position, and LeBron didn't box out uh, Paul, and Paul dove and got it in front of his legs. Mm -hmm. That gave us the ball. And then what we call the greatest wonder of the world happened. Eddie House passed the ball. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he passed it to P.J. Brown, and P.J. Brown made a big shot. Um, and think about that, how fortunate you are. P.J. Brown, over All-Star break, had retired. Yep. All-Star break is in New Orleans, and we decided to get in our car 
and go knock on his door and go get him. <laughs> and we went and got him. So he, he was big for us. Mm-hmm. You get Detroit in six. Uh, what was memorable about that series? Well, Detroit was the defending champs. Yep. They were the team to beat. Like, going into that season, we knew for us to make it to the finals, um, and what, what was crazy, number one, we knew it was the Lakers. The Lakers were going to win the West. Everyone knew that that yep. year. Like, Cole so, was on a mission. Yeah, he was on a mission. You know, So we were thinking, okay, we, we got to beat Cleveland, and we got to go through Detroit. Uh, we hadn't lost a home game in the playoffs, and then game two, Detroit comes in and beats us. Uh, mm-hmm. Then we go back and beat them in game three and then close it out in game six on their floor. Um, it was funny, Matt, like, and, and, and Jack, y'all both know this, but it's funny how people set these, like, with the Clippers. I remember everyone said, you got to get to the Western Finals. I was like, that's it? That's, right. that's not what I want. <laughs> no, you got to get right. the champ. You know, that's not the goal. Like, exactly. So it was funny, like, I was, I was, I didn't even stand on the stage. That's a, like, single-minded championship. Uh, if you ever look back, when they're giving us the, the silver ball, I didn't stand on the stage. I kind of stood off. Because it, mm. like, it, ex- it wasn't what I wanted. It right, right. So, like, I don't know why, but I, I just I remember coming in and um, after, you know, because you're supposed to celebrate, too, because you got to enjoy the journey. Mm, right. So I come in and we're all celebrating. And I say, guys, this is great. But we don't want a silver ball. We want a gold mm-hmm. ball. The gold I ball. Said, so let's enjoy this moment. But it ain't about the silver ball. Yeah. Right. And so Absolutely. I think when you're on that journey, for, for people on the outside, they're looking at how great that is, and that's an accomplishment. But it's not what you want. It's not what you're in it for. And so that's what that felt like to me. Like, it was awesome knowing we're going to the finals. I didn't know what to expect. You know, I was a coach mm-hmm. uh, that had never coached in the finals. I didn't know, like, what to expect. I just knew it was the Celtics and it was the Lakers. And I'm not kidding. It's exactly who we wanted to be there. Like, mm-hmm. we wanted the Lakers to win the West. We mm-hmm. wanted them to win the West. Uh, mm-hmm. We wanted to be us and them. Absolutely. So now you find yourself in the 2008 Finals smack dab in the middle of history. Uh, you know, obviously with the two franchises and, and, and their winning ways, playing against Kobe. I want to jump right to game four, uh, down 24 in the third quarter. What was that huddle like when you guys flipped that switch? That was the best moment maybe in my coaching career as far as just feeling because I really believed. I kept telling Tibbs, like, we're going to win this game. Mm. Uh, I kept telling Tibbs, I got to find the right combination. I, I, I bet I said that word. I got to find the right combination. Something's not fitting here. Something's not working here. Um, and we kept, if you watch that guy, I kept changing lineups. Uh, cause we just, we couldn't score, uh, and something, I just, I couldn't figure it out. And then we fell on that Eddie house, Paul Pierce, uh, we moved Paul to the four, uh, and took off that game. Um, and the best part moment for me was Jack Nicholson sitting next to me. Uh, when we came back, cause we're down 24 and I kept saying, you know, how coaches do cut it in six, get it to 16, mm-hmm. get it to 12. When it got to six, the game was over. You already knew it. You, you could feel it. And the only thing that I remember, you know, about that game that's funny is Jack Nicholson kept yelling, duh, duh. He just kept calling my name. And I finally turned around 
And he said, we are dead men walking. Uh, <laughs> that, that momentum is serious, you know, for real fans oh. and obviously coaches and players. You feel that shit. Like, the, the yeah. casual might not understand, but that momentum is everything. And you know if you can walk a team down in those kind of situations, it's, it, it's tough to come out of. Yeah, and then after that game, the thing I knew, I, you know, I didn't know because you never know, but the first thing I remember them saying, I, mean, I think it was Lamar Odom, we got to play physical like them. And right when I heard that, I remember saying that this series is over because mm-hmm. you are what you are. Absolutely. You're not going to change and, in the finals. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to start playing like us. Right. You're not beating us. Absolutely. That's your game. That's who we were. We, we right. had some physical, just naturally. It wasn't taught. It was who they uh, were. Dogs, right? Uh, game six, you're fortunate enough to close out at home from pregame to the time the confetti fell. What was the energy and mindset of, of the team and yourself? Well, we didn't have a lot of time. If you remember the whole story that um, we both took off that next day at the same time, the Laker plane takes off. Yeah. And then our plane is broke. Then the family plane is broke. Now, come on, it's a, y'all. To set up. <laughs> <laughs> we in LA. We in LA. And, and both of their planes take off. So we're on the ground for like five, six extra hours. Dang. And finally, we, we land at 1 a.m. on the day of the game. Um, and so it was probably one of the best decisions I made as a coach. I, I didn't, we didn't have shoot around. Think about that for right. game six, game six of the finals, NBA no finals. We didn't have shoot around. I said, Hey guys, I'll meet you in the locker room, 3,500 o'clock, just like normal. Mm. And so uh, we, we showed up and it's the first time and probably the only time that I walked in the locker room. I said, guys, we're not going to win tonight. We're going to win by a lot. Mm. We're going to play the perfect game tonight. This is the night that we show them who we actually are. Um, And, you know, I had the benefit of that game of being able to know we're going to win the game with nine minutes. I mean, we are 40. Right. But the the funniest story, yeah, the funniest story in that game, we are 40 or 38 with like five minutes left, and I hadn't subbed. Uh, and Tom Thibodeau, of all people, who never subs, <laughs> right. uh, comes comes up to me and was like, because uh, he used to say, "Boss man, hey, boss man, you're gonna you're gonna sub." <laughs> and I, I said, "When Kobe goes off the floor, right. I'm gonna sub. But until Phil takes Kobe out, I'm not taking our guys out." <laughs> Which tells you what you felt about Kobe. Hell yeah, you know, we're, right. we're it ain't over till it's over. I'm like, this dude, man, I'm just, no, I'm not taking mm-hmm. any chances. And then I right when that. Phil finally subbed him, we subbed everybody out. Uh, and I was, listen, man, you guys all won. There's no better yeah. feeling no, than winning. It's it's like you have a blood transfusion yeah. with your teammates and with, mm-hmm. with your franchise. And it's why you should play sports. It really is. It's the only reason. Uh, I mean, to make a living is one. And then yeah. the other one is, man, if, if when you got a chance to win – and you don't, you're going to look back on your career um, as a player. If it's nothing other than the team is better, it's going to always bother you. Yeah. And I don't care who you are. At least for me, yeah. that's what it would have yeah, been. Absolutely. I remember, you know, we were fortunate enough to get one of Kobe's last interviews, and he said that series right there to him was the, the series that always haunted him, that would make him sick, the fact that you guys handled him like that uh, to win the championship. I remember talking to him right after the game, and he's crying. He's got tears in his eyes. And I could feel his energy, mm-hmm. like literally feel it. I told a couple of guys after the game, 
And it was not an energy of sadness. It was an energy was, I'm going to get you guys. I'm going to see you. I'm going to see you. That was all <laughs> yeah. It was not a no. I, I, I told a couple of our guys, I said, that was not a, uh, well, we lost. It was, I'm going to see you, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a see you motherfuckers. I'm going yeah. to destroy you. You yeah. can feel it. Like, you can feel it. Yeah. And, um, you know, he got us back in 10. Uh, mm -hmm. but, you know, but, and that was, that was obviously the hardest loss for me as a coach. Uh, you know, losing Perk, mm -hmm. uh, having a lead in that game. Yep. Um, you know, I'm not going to say anything, but that second half was called differently. <laughs> I, I'm over it. I'm over it. <laughs> but come on, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Getting so getting there. I mean, obviously, the next season, you know, you know, w w with with the basketball guys, you guys have a, a small window to you know to repeat and, and win as yeah. much as you can. You guys get off to a hot start. KG goes down. What is the thought when KG goes down in February? Only thing I remember is we had the best record. In, I think we were like twenty three and four, twenty three and three. Like we were rolling. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember, I, I see it still. Kevin was just running down the court in Utah with no one around. Mm. And, and grabbed the back of his knee. Mm. And I just remember Eddie Lacerda training. Like, oh, God, that's not good. Mm. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, an injury with no one around is the worst injury you can have. It's a real injury. Because that's a real injury. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Kevin never came back that year. Um, the fact that, you know, we almost made it to Eastern Finals still without KG yeah. tells mm -hmm. you about this team. Uh, but Kevin was never the same. Uh and, and I truly believe if he had stayed healthy, we'd have won at least two, mm. um, maybe more. Uh, but he was never the same. Yeah. Uh, probably about 75% of himself uh, mm -hmm. from that point on. That's uh, and he never had the endurance. That's the thing that stood out to me uh, when he returned. His endurance was never the same. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it changed your fate. Yeah. Uh, but listen, just to be able to coach Kevin – was worth it. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one -on -one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one -on -one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he ain't it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought 
in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Jumping ahead to, to 2010, you guys are the fourth seed. Obviously a chip on your shoulder from the year before. Everyone counted you guys out. Um, you guys take care of business. Uh, you guys in uh, LeBron's run in Cleveland for a little while. Um, I remember I'm on Orlando at the time, and we're sweeping through the playoffs. We're uh, 8-0. We beat the shit out of Jack and his team in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> we handled Atlanta. And then I remember t- particularly – uh, Stan Van Gundy, he's just like, you know, this, you know, we can't be fooled by their record. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're this, they're a veteran team. They've won. We got to make some changes. And we end up changing up our whole approach, offensive strategy, plan, go-to. So we're kind of in shambles. You guys come out and just jump on us. And, you know, obviously we were able to take it to six games, but we never were ever to really find our footing in that series. And that leads to the rematch in 2010 yeah. between you guys and the Lakers. Talk to us about that. You talked a little bit about it, but talk to us about that. Well, we knew it was a hell of a series, and we knew they were going to have a different mindset. Like the first time uh, in eight, we were so much more physical than them. Um, and you could tell in game one, Paul Gasol, the way he was playing, they had home court advantage. Uh, they were they were, they were were as physical as us. Not probably to the 100%, but they were different. Um, and you knew it was going to be a war. Um and it really was. The series played out like we thought it would. You know, um, we got up 3-2. I thought game six was the game. No, like we were playing well. We got up and then Perk got hurt. Yep. Um, and just hurt our – like Perk was more than a player for us. You know, certain guys, yeah. man. It's like, not always I the guess, numbers. It's not always yeah, the numbers. I guess yep. it would be like Draymond Green getting hurt yep. um, uh, for Golden State. And yep. it just hurt our spirit. Um, Speak to his importance, though, because I think Perk, I mean, we know as players what he did and what he meant to basketball. But I think, you know, he takes a lot of heat now because he wasn't the guy that put up big numbers. But I know how important he was to chemistry and leadership and that kind of stuff. And and I'm I'm glad to hear you say that because, uh, you know, losing him in game six obviously was huge for you guys. Oh, it was huge. I mean, he was our enforcer. He allowed Kevin to be Kevin. Like, you know, Kevin didn't have to do any of the dirty work because Perk did it all. Mm-hmm. You know, for him, uh, he was a phenomenal defender. Uh, he, he rode. He did all the things you asked him to do, and he was such an intangibles player. Uh, I mean, Perks. Like I, I was honest with Perk. If I ever call your number, it was a mistake. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to you, but uh, you're going to get it anyway. You're going right, to get regardless. points. Um, you're going to run the floor. We're going to throw it to you. So Perk did everything you asked him. Like, he was the perfect player to have on a championship team. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he was over himself. Like, he, he didn't – he wanted to win. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's what drove him. And so he wasn't worried about himself mm-hmm. uh, and losing him and his toughness and his spirit. I mean, think about it. The Lakers had 23 offensive rebounds in game seven. Mm-hmm. You were not winning that game. No. Nope. Right. And we still could have won. But that also but, doesn't happen with Perk in there, though. You no, know, it's not going to happen with Perk in there. Mm-hmm. And then Perk also is not just going to allow some of the stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, um, You're going to put somebody down. Yeah, yeah, that's just Perk, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so, uh, you know, listen, that's, that was a tough one because that was a close team. Uh, Rasheed Wallace was on that team, gave us everything that he had. You know, it was one of my big regrets. Like, Rasheed never got in great shape that year. And, you know, if I could redo that, I would have, I would have made sure he was in better condition uh, because be it came down. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was such at that age where you had to be careful, yeah. you know. But it came down to us needing him for 35 minutes, and he yeah. didn't have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that changed the fortune of that game. Um, looking back on it, obviously, Lakers go on to win that championship. Looking back on it, obviously, you know, rest in peace, Kobe. We're just a little bit over a year uh, from losing him and Gigi and, and everyone else. What was it like competing against him? Uh, you said it in the first championship run, like, fuck being up 30 until Kobe goes off the floor. I'm not seven. So what was it like going at him twice in the finals? He was the perfect opponent. Like, he was a guy, like, if you could, as a kid, could script uh, the villain, the, the opponent you wanted to go against. Uh, that's him. But that's Kobe. Like, he, you knew if you didn't bring it, he won. Like, you knew that. And so – it just made you prepare. It made you get ready. And it would. And you guys have been around and play with. You know, it's more than just play. It's mental too. Mental approach. Yep. Like you have to have them. You have to have mental toughness to play against any game that Kobe was in. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had to sustain his greatness and be okay with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought Ray Allen. Like Ray didn't get enough credit. Ray was had no issues guarding Kobe. You know. Whether Kobe played well or not, Ray was I'm, – I'm, the next day Ray showed up was ready again. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need that type because Kobe is uh, – Elijah Mon was one. They can take your soul away. Like, mm-hmm. if, if you don't watch it in your series with a Kobe Bryant and a Michael Jordan, a LeBron, they, they're playing so well, it takes your goodness away. Right. Yeah. You know, and then you don't play well anymore. Uh, we saw that with, with David – against Elijah Wan in that series with San Antonio. Mm-hmm. I mean, Elijah, David played good in that series, but Elijah Wan was so dominant that it just kind of took your spirit away. Mm-hmm. And and Ray was phenomenal. Ray, Ray showed up the next day ready to go. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, summer through 2010, um, LeBron and Bosch go to Miami to build their own big three. What's the reaction from you guys, uh, you know, knowing you guys are getting a little bit older, knowing you guys, you know, did it a different way, but they created it through free agency and, and talking yeah. to each other and jumping. What was your guys' thoughts about them being able to create their big three in Miami? It didn't bother us. Um, you know, I knew, listen, I'm, I'm, I've been around the league. I knew the clock was ticking and it was really ticking. <laughs> you know, you know how it starts speeding up at the mm-hmm. end. That was our clock. Um, and I, I really thought after 10, we may have just jumped out of that window, you know, uh, but we were still so tough-minded. Uh, and we got up 3-2 on them. Yep. You know, um, you know, not the first year, but the second year that we played them. And that was even crazier because we were older. We didn't yep. have a great team then. But it was our mental toughness literally just almost beat them. Mm-hmm. And then that's the game to me, LeBron, game six yes. in the garden. Yep. Unreal. We, like, you know, it's funny. You go back and you look at your game plan. Your game plan wasn't LeBron making threes from everyone. <laughs> you know, and he did. And you got to give it to him. Then uh, we went in Miami and almost beat him in that game seven. So they were just tough. You know, that, that team, it's a great example. You can put a team together, but you got to become a team. 
Um, in the first year, Miami, they lost because it was all about those three guys. Right. It wasn't the team. It wasn't the team. They didn't include the Chalmers and everybody else, mm-hmm. you know. But that following year, they did, and that's when they won it. So yeah. it, the, the, the biggest thing with LeBron, I'll share this, is when we played him in Cleveland, LeBron just showed up and played games. Mm-hmm. When we played him in Miami, LeBron knew the game. He mm. he knew our calls. He knew what we were running. So he had a change in his approach. Um, and I don't know who got to him or, or whatever, but it was when you saw it, you knew everybody was in trouble. So they like, they, they go on to win that um, in a tough game. Did you guys kind of know that was the beginning of the end for you guys in 12? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was pretty obvious. Um, Danny was already talking about it. Um, I almost stopped coaching in 11, I think. Um, you know, at, at that point, it was, what, uh, eight, seven years in a row in Boston or eight years in a row in Boston, five years in Orlando. And I was thinking, man. It's a lot. I need a year. <laughs> you know, I, I do. And what happened, I think the lockout was a savior. It was awesome. It was a little break until Christmas. Yeah, we were off till Christmas. Yeah, until Christmas, and that gave me a break. And I was so fortunate because that was Austin's freshman year Mm -hmm. in college. So I got to watch every one of his games up until, you know, after Christmas, which was cool for me. And it kind of gave me some more juice, so I went back and coached that that one more year before Mm -hmm. leaving. So Ray's departure in 2012, was that a surprise to anyone, everyone? Did anyone know? Talk to us about that. You know, it wasn't a surprise. Uh, it wasn't a complete. It was a surprise, but it wasn't a complete surprise. I knew Ray wasn't happy. Mm-hmm. You know, um, this is where coaching gets tough, and I think uh, players will never understand it unless they get into this. Is where you got Ray, you got Rondo, you got to coach them both and like them both, but each guy wants you to like the other one more and, right. and like the other one less. <laughs> and so you're, you're kind of stuck. You know, Matt, you saw a little bit about that yeah. with me in, in, in mm-hmm. L.A. And it just puts you as a coach in, in such a difficult position um, because we wasn't getting rid of Rondo. Yep. You know, um, right. and so it just got to the point where Ray was, Ray was out. Um, you know, and I was pissed, too, because he was going to Miami. Right, of all you teams. Know, of all teams, not yeah. them. Yeah, you know. But it was yeah. funny. Like, I got over it quick. Like, at the end of the day, you know, we go into Miami. I get up and make sure I talk to him, give him a hug. I hadn't talked to him since at that point. Uh, and our guys gave him the cold shoulder. Uh, and I told him after the game, I said, man, we, y'all got to get over that, bro. This guy helped us win the title. They're still not over it. <laughs> I was about <laughs> to say, no, hey, no one we talked to was over it. No, <laughs> no it's crazy. Had, no, no. Yeah. It's crazy. I tried to. Yeah. Get involved last year uh, for Paul's retirement. Uh-huh. I, I tried to get involved. I had I thought I had Ray talked into coming. Um, he was worried, you know, about getting booed, which he would not. You know, fans would. And then mm-hmm. Rondo and them got to doing their stuff again, and I, I just <laughs> yeah to step away, man, honestly, respectfully step back, huh? Yeah, I said I'm out of this, and I, I'm gonna, I got to coach these, these guys here. So right. I got out. <laughs> I jumped out, but I do hope, man, that they can, they got to get it together. At I really one point, do. Absolutely. They meant too much to each other. Yeah. Uh, summer 13, it's time to rebuild. Um, KG and, and Paul go to Brooklyn. You get traded to the Clippers, yeah. a coach being traded. Uh, yeah. how, did, how, how did that trade come about for you? 
Well, it was crazy. If, if you guys remember the whole contract thing with, with, with Sterling, I was just, listen, I was so concerned because I'd heard from every coach about how he <laughs> backs out of deals, that he wouldn't pay coaches. And so, you know, I literally had in my contract that if any contract dispute happened, David Stern had to be the mediator, <laughs> you know, because what Sterling had done, I guess, in the past was tie up deals in court because he knew he was a wealthy guy. He could tie it up forever. Yep. Yeah. And, and so, like I was telling you guys, like, if I was doing that, like, what the hell was I thinking about? You know, <laughs> now, like, what was I thinking about? And what I was thinking about was that team. They were loaded. Yeah. They were loaded. And I remember getting there after it all finished. And within a week, we have this J.J. Redick thing. You know, well, the first thing I was told when I took the job that we wasn't going to keep Bledsoe. And see, I thought starting Bled and Chris would have been an interesting backcourt. But they were saying, no, he's going to want to get paid. We're not going to pay him. And so we're going to trade him. That's the one thing you have to do. And so I said, okay. Um, So we ended up doing this deal for J.J. Redick, who I thought fit the team really well. And the deal was done. Uh, J.J. had had, uh, agreed to go to Minnesota. He, He backtracked to come to us. We talked him into changing his mind. Uh-huh. Deal's done. I fly back home to Orlando. I land and Andy Roser calls me and said the, the JJ deal is off. Uh-huh. And I said, what do you mean it's off? Sterling changed his mind. See, he can't change his mind. <laughs> we, we, we just agreed to a deal. You can't do that. And and so he said, Doc, because and, and Matt's been around enough to know Andy's not fighting down with Sterling. Not at all. <clears throat> Nothing. So right. it leaves you to have to fight him. Mm-hmm. And so I call him up. We are literally, I'm in the garage in Orlando going back and forth with my owner. <laughs> I've never had that. Like, and, and I'm screaming. And finally, I said, listen, I quit. I'm out. Mm. You're not going anywhere. I won't allow you to go anywhere. And I said, I quit. Mm. And I hung the phone up. And so I drive home, and I remember getting home, uh, telling my ex at the time, I said, uh, I don't think I'm the coach of the Clippers anymore. <laughs> and, and I call my agent and tell him the same thing. And within 30 minutes, Andy calls me, great job. Uh, the, the deal's done. Now, I don't know to this day why the deal was done. It was just done. Uh, Sterling had a problem with JJ because he was white. You know, Think about that one. Uh, he had a problem with JJ because he was white. Because he was white. He didn't want to pay <laughs> yeah. a white dude, Jack. The shit he was crazy, he, bro. Yeah, he didn't like white players for some reason. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So uh, uh, that was the start of my Clipper career. <laughs> How crazy. was it? I mean, like I said, I'm right in the mix with you. How was it building with Chris individually and then building with Blake as well? It was just different. They both were so different. Um, you know, uh, Chris is the most competitive guy you could be around, you know, uh, and 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 so I, you know, man. I guess if I could look back, like there was damage done already before I got in there, right? Yep, absolutely. Uh, and I heard about it, but you know, when you get in it, you see it. But it was such a passive aggressive. It wasn't out. It was weird. Out. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. weird. It wasn't in your face kind of shit. It was no. behind sneaky shit. Yeah, and that's what killed me, like, because you would have a talk with them both, everything's good. You would talk to them both, everything's good. 
is a difficult group because they both are extremely competitive. Um, they definitely had something, you know. Um, I, had, I There was things that had happened before I got there that I didn't know um, and, you know, that you learn. And my job was to come in and try to get them to see past themselves. Right. And, you know, y'all, you both have been on team. You don't have to love each other. Nope. You just have to figure out a way of giving each other room to play. Coexist and respect each other. Coexist. I mean, remember Bill Russell when I was in Boston said the deepest thing, like, he said, if I'm the only one that can be great on the team, you can never win. Right. Yep. Uh, I have to be great and give everybody enough room so they can be great in their space too. Yep. And that was like, it just, you know, it was there and it was so passive aggressive. Yeah. That, like, I would have loved whatever, whenever somebody on any team, you don't like each other right at that moment. Talk about just it. Get it out. Call, call them an MF yep. and move on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our shit but, was our shit was more sneaky, subtle. Well, it was just it would it would it never came to a head. But you can tell, good times, bad times. There was always something, some kind of friction there that would hold us back. And you know what? For me as a coach, because my my job, Matt, is um, you, you, I feel like part of your job is to be a problem solver. Yeah. Right. And so it was difficult for me with that because you couldn't figure out what the problem was <laughs> like it was I, I i the conversations that i had individually as a group as a team you know it was just there was always this cloud there would you agree with that absolutely like, well, every I, day in practice it, I, it felt like it, it was combustible something anytime it can blow up but what i saw was it was Bla- from the outside looking in because i was with the lakers before so it was Blake's team and Blake kind of put him on the map and then CP came and it was automatically handed to CP. So I know how that kind of caused some stuff. And then DeAndre's rise. DeAndre was just the fun kicking homeboy, great rebounder, blocker, did all the dirty work. And then DeAndre started getting some shine too. So now there was three shining parts on our team. You know what I mean? And I just think that was for some reason, that was an issue. I, I kept telling DJ, you be great. Stop waiting. Mm-hmm. You know, I kept saying, stop waiting, bro. Like, you should be Bill Russell. Mm-hmm. And and so, you remember, Matt, I, I declared him the defensive captain of the team. Yep. yep. And, you know, like, outwardly, you think that's a great move, and it was. It really helped DJ, mm-hmm. but it also gave DJ a voice. Yep. And the problem with that was now – you know, Chris has a voice, and Blake has a voice, and DJ yep. has a voice. And mm-hmm. so it, it was so interesting, that group. I remember, you know, Dave Severance, who, who was there before I was there. So he, I remember late in the year, the first year, because I, I said, man, man, we got to get this team together. We got to get to and, – and I remember him saying, Doc, it's 80 times better than last year. Mm-hmm. And when he said that, it scared the hell out of me. Yeah. Because I'm thinking, if you think this is better – Right. But I will say this about that team. That first year, Matt, we were ready. Uh, uh, we, we got to that Oklahoma series. That game that, mm. that we threw away, like literally, um, we played at a point in that game which was unbeatable. Yep. And that loss opened up all the wounds again. Yep. I mean, Chris, who has been – He's been the perfect player, just had three of the worst minutes 
Ever. Ever. Yep. I mean, even even things that people didn't know, like we were supposed to file, you remember? Yep. Uh, we, uh, he didn't file, and then they mm -hmm. got, that's how Durant got the, there got were more the mistakes made than, than people even knew. Yep. Yeah. You know, and um, and then he was crushed. Yeah. He was crushed. Um, but I don't know what it did. Like, I remember that next day in film, I had I was going to show the film so we can just go over it. And I walked in, and y'all don't even you probably don't know this to this moment. Um, I walk in the room, and Chris has got tears in his eyes. I didn't even realize. And so I walk in, and we're going to watch film, and I motion to our video guy, uh, no film. Hmm. Couldn't show it. I, I, you know, I just felt like I don't, this may go a bad place. That was the, the start of the fall. Yeah, I uh, want to back up that, real that quick moment. though. Um, I, I met, I, I met. I, I was there two weeks and I felt it. Yeah, yeah. I felt yeah. it. And I was on. I was there short. You know, I, I would have stayed longer. But remember, Chris Paul broke his hand, so y'all had to make a trade and bring another point guard in. But yeah, I, I, I felt it the time there, and, and yeah. the time I was there, every it seemed like the captains was JJ and uh, DJ because everybody got along with those two guys. But the other two stars were basically spaced apart. And there were a lot of guys like having to play like double agents, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> try to work both sides. Yeah, I was, I know I was, I was the mender between the way Chris, cause sometimes I love Chris. We're still great friends. He lives around the corner. Our kids are best friends, but Chris is old school. So the way he comes off is sometimes abrasive, but he means well. But with, yeah. sometimes with DJ and Blake, I'd be like, well, Chris, all Chris is trying to say, and I would just frame it a different way. They're like, all right, and go do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, so it Chris was just. Chris go. didn't, uh, his delivery wasn't great. Yes. yes. <laughs> you know, so. But what he, but what he, what, but, but he, you know, you, Doc, you can agree what he was trying to get across was right. His delivery was just off. And that was the yeah, fucked up part. So back in the day, that wouldn't have been an issue because you can yell, cuss, do whatever, but it was different with this next crop of guys. Like you had yeah, to kind of almost talk to him a certain way. And I was just like, yeah. come on, y'all, what the fuck? Things have changed. Like, uh, you know, when I played, I walk in the locker room, Dominique, you suck tonight, bro. Like, you got to pick all right. I mean, we ain't winning without you, you know. And he would tell me, "Yeah, you're right. You're right." You know, that's how we talk to each right. other. Right. Um, but that also was pre-cell phone, pre everybody yeah. getting involved Image, in the social lives. media. So, yeah. I want to. Uh, I want. I want to backtrack real quick, Doc, um, and touch on the Sterling situation. Obviously, we're in the playoffs and. And like you said, we were ready that season. And we were the team that, you know, the last team that knocked the Warriors off before they went on their run. So we're in the yeah. midst of the playoffs. And the Sterling situation happened. And I don't know if you get enough credit for the way you handled that shit. That shit was obviously couldn't have come at a worse time. Uh, mm. We feel like we're a championship caliber team. And it just puts us in a terrible position. Uh, walk us through that evening and the next day. Um, the, what you were telling us and, 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 and how we were going to figure this out as a team. Yeah, that was a gut punch because uh, we were rolling. Yep. We were rolling. And you know what? Uh, Andy Rose, uh, again, like, and, and stuff y'all found out about, uh, he tells me this video is coming out, but it's not a big deal. Um, <laughs> and so uh, he says, I have it if you want to watch it, but it's not a big deal. So I'm like, it's not a big deal. I'm not going to watch it. Seth comes running into our coaches meeting, Matt, five minutes before it's going to come out on ESPN. He said, Doc, you got to come watch this video. Mm. And so while I was watching it, it was airing. It was too late. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm pissed, Matt. Like, mm -hmm. I am seething. Probably the most upset I've ever been 
like coaching a team at someone. So I'm seething. And Seth is there. He's like, you got to calm down before you call. And so I call Andy 25 times before I meet him. He wouldn't answer the damn phone. Mm. Um, so when I walk in that meeting with you guys, I hadn't talked to anybody. I had no one to talk to. Mm-hmm. And so, and you know, like, I didn't know what to do. Like, I didn't know should I wear, I didn't want to wear my Clippers shirt. Right. I, I called a couple of the coaches. I was like, man, I don't know if we should wear a shirt, but if we don't wear it, like, so, I mean, think about the decisions we're talking about. A damn shirt. But on the you fly, know, though, like you said, in the middle of a play, on the fly, yeah. like you said, we had no preparation for none of this shit. On the fly, and then I walk in with my shirt. Y'all all got y'all's off. <laughs> <laughs> and, and y'all y'all are shitty. Like, y'all, the whole team is, is yeah. you can see guys got their arms folded while I'm talking. Yeah. And that's when I finally had to say, bro, you listen, y'all. I'm, I'm Glenn Rivers from Maywood. Like, I'm mad. Mm-hmm. And, and the only thing I wanted, man, and it's, I swear, like God was guiding me. Like I, the first thing I thought was about all y'all, you, DJ, was please don't let them say something Crazy. that then they become the story. Mm-hmm. Um, because the worst thing, and and like you guys felt this a little bit in the George Floyd thing, Stephen, you definitely went through this. Um, people react more on the response yes than the actual than they situation act on the guy who actually did the crime absolutely like we're stuck everybody wanted to know what the clippers were going to do and i kept thinking the clippers right what about donald sterling That's the right league, right yeah. why, why are we worried about what we're going to do let's focus mm-hmm. on donald sterling and so that thought kept telling me Let's have one voice. I'll be your voice. Whatever you guys tell me to say. You remember you guys sat there and basically gave me what what I was supposed to say. So you guided me. Um, And that was really important because I didn't know what to say. I didn't know exactly what to say. Um, And I remember when we did that and we got on the bus. You remember we went to Oakland to that, uh, to San Francisco, Mm -hmm. University of San Francisco. Did you, and I've never asked you this. I knew it was a big deal, but I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Like, I didn't think. I didn't. You either, right? Cause I, I, yeah, because I, 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 mean, I shared my story. I had been through real racism, you know, my yeah. school vandalized by the KKK, burning down buildings. To me, it was just another idiot who got caught talking bad about black people. But like I said, for those who haven't experienced anything like that, like some of the guys took it hard. But to me, it wasn't yeah. like, and you know, and you and I had the same, we were, we were never playing for this dude anyway. We were never playing for Sterling. Exactly, and that us. was my point to you guys. Like, yeah. when we're growing up talking about winning the title, Donald Sterling wasn't in our dream. <laughs> right. We mm-hmm. weren't thinking about that fool. Right. So, to me, but when we pulled up, and you remember seeing all those trucks? Yeah, it was crazy. I was shocked. Yeah. Like, I thought it would be a big story for ESPN and sports. It was a world story. It was a world story. When we walked in that gym and I saw, like, Tom Brokaw, it was and crazy. I'm like, oh, man, you remember we – Y'all giving me what to say. We're spo- I was supposed to do it right away. And I went over in the corner. Oh, that went out the window. <laughs> for a half hour. I had to gather myself. I yeah. said, like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, I got to make sure I have – I got to represent these dudes. I got to right. – what, what they just said, I got to get – because, y'all, we wrote it down. I hadn't even really looked at it that much on the bus because I thought, you know, you know, Sage Steele's going to ask me one question and we're off to back to basketball. 
And then when I pulled up and I said, there were hundreds. I was like, oh my gosh, this is big. This is bigger than I ever thought. Um, and the one thing I did know, I, I, I don't think I've ever shared with you this. Um, so you do know like that moment we got through that day and then that game. You remember I walked out, it was like three seconds left on the shot clock uh, when I came out of, to the floor. Right before uh, the game at, started. At, before Golden State. Because Donald Sterling was coming to the game. Right, you had to try to put that fire out. Yeah, and so me and Andy are having a literally an MF session on the phone. <laughs> I'm sweating. I'm in the hallway standing by the tunnel <laughs> yelling. Like, yeah. he's not coming. He's not coming to this Can't. game. When no way. He cannot show up to this game. Yeah. And finally, so when I walked out, I didn't know if he was coming or not. Uh, so I'm nervous thinking this is going to be nuts. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I turned to one of the coaches, and he said, what do you think? I said, uh, we're going to lose, and it's going to be bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, our mind was on everything but playing at that time. We had the no world. We, we, had the, we had the world trying to tell us what we should do. Boycott, yeah. sit out, fucking don't oh. play the rest of the series. We're like, hold on, like we, and I understand where everyone thought they had an opinion, but like we said before we started, we felt like we had a championship caliber team, so we're not going to let that come crashing down because of an idiot ass owner. You know I mean, right. like our goal right. is still, although we probably shouldn't have sat, we should have sat the way they whooped our ass. We should have just said, all right, you guys can have this game. We'll see you back in LA. <laughs> that would have been, in retrospect, I know it would have saved us some time. Yeah, definitely. You know, because they jumped on us. Yeah. Um, it was just, it was one of those days where there's no way. And then you remember we got on the bus and Shelly Sterling's on the bus. Mm, 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 mm. And oh like, my oh, God. Man. I don't know how y'all did it. Yeah, it was no, crazy, no, Jack. Jack, Jack this, it was crazy. That day, for me, like it was when the day was already bad. We just got blown out. I'm fighting with people about not letting the owner come to a game. And then I get on the bus and Shelly is sitting on the other side. <laughs> I was like, this, this, this gotta be one of the worst days ever. Yeah. Um, and we got through saying. it. Like, I thought you guys handled it yeah. really well because yeah. each guy got on. And it was funny, man, if you remember, you would get on, you'd see Shelly, then your eyes would go to me, and I would, like, just kind of, <laughs> you know, like, what, what am I supposed to do? Because we're pissed you know? we lost, but at the same time, we're like, really? But then I was yeah. at the same time kind of had the wherewithal that knowing they were already on the rocks, but she still was a reputation of heavy, even though she wasn't as deep in. I liked Shelly personally, um, but Donna was a monster. But anyway, so we go back to L.A. for the next game, and all remember all of our sponsors were blocked out. Like they had black pretty much all over the arena because all of our sponsors had backed out on us uh, before the game. But the one thing yeah. I remember was – And the employees were going to quit. Yep. You had to talk to them that day, right? Didn't you I have to go down to there and put I'm that fire out? Yeah, we go. I leave shoot around. I'm, I should be going home. I, I'm driving to downtown to have a meeting with the employees at the yep. Staples Center because Andy Roser went AWOL. <laughs> and so they wanted to quit. And it, it was the first time that I actually got emotional. I actually called Adam, like literally in tears, like, bro, some y'all got to do something here. Someone's got to help me. Like, yep. I'm not, I'm a coach. I should not be. Right. Like crisis management t-shirt. They were asking yeah. me what color t-shirts for the game tonight. And yeah. should we play music? And, and I was like, and I'm it was nuts. Yeah. I'm trying to win a game and get our guys. Cause right. Like that's also for me, the first time I realized I couldn't imagine for y'all how strong social media was Oh yeah, because 
we wouldn't, I was old enough, like, I didn't deal with it. Y'all had to, I was watching it live. Like, you guys were getting in contact. Yeah. Jesse Jackson was reaching out to yeah. y'all. Al yeah. Sharpton. Uh, I was like, man, this these guys got so much on their shoulders. That was really the beginning uh, of the social media movement. You know, when yeah. players started using social media for stuff outside of showing off whatever you were trying to show off. That's, you know, LeBron took a huge stand. You know, yeah. after after the fact, you know, we kind of started saying what we had to say, but that was really the beginning of social media, and that's where a lot of the heat came from. Like, you guys shouldn't have did this. You guys are sellouts. You guys are this, this, and that. We're yeah. like, hold on, man. What the hell? But anyway. We yeah, so we, we, we get through it, and we get to that game, and beating Golden State in game seven mm. was as satisfying yeah. um, because they were good. We, really we good. were the only ones that knew it, though. It was yeah. like – no, we knew they were on the way. We knew they were next, and it was like we had to do what we were supposed to do now because they were coming right for sure. You could feel it. You could yep. see that team like, oh, boy, this, this team's yep. going to be good. They They're were coming. Good. Yep. So, yeah, we come back to a great ovation, uh, you know, end up winning the series in seven, lose to OKC. Um, the Balmer era, um, loved his energy. He came in with the right focus, and we really th- stopped – we were heading in the right direction, but to be honest with you, everything was perfect. But the chemistry between the people who were most important was the guys. We still couldn't get, we couldn't, you know, the elephant was in the room and it continued to get bigger. And we, yeah. and we, we just it, it couldn't was get bigger past by that. Then. Yep. As you know, by then it was way bigger. It's huge. You know, it wasn't outward still, which was crazy, but we all knew it. Yep. And, yep. you know, uh, a lot of stuff transpired, but, you know, we get to that Houston series. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I still say this: If Chris didn't get hurt against San Antonio, yep, um, we're we're at least playing Golden State in the Western Finals. Mm, I agree. You know, because Chris was never the same either. Mm-hmm. Um, but that whole like, just listen. I, that's one of you know people ask me often like, what is what what are your greatest success? What is one of your failures? And I always say, one of my failures, I could not figure that out. Maybe it couldn't be figured out, right? Uh, but I could not like. You guys saw it. I tried so many different things, yeah. and it was just not going anywhere. As a it, coach, it as a coach that, that that have had locker rooms that you've been able to bring together, Boston being a, a prime example, what do you feel like the limit would have been to that team if we were all on the same page? I think, you know, you never can say you'll win a title, but that first year with Oklahoma, that that year, we're playing in the finals. I agree. Yeah, and, and I have no doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, uh, now you don't ever know who's going to win and all that, but we would have been a finalist. Uh, I agree. You know, you know, but but that is part of being a champion is not having that crap. Right. And 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 so it just shows you. You guys have been around the game. Just think how many teams have not won because of crap like that. Yeah. Right. And yep. it's such a waste, man. Like, and, and over what? Um, you know. If you win it, it's everybody's championship. Right. Who, it's everybody's who's, team. Whose name? It, whose name is coming up oh. first, or whose team it is? Like it was, it was, it was a nightmare. Um, I want to jump ahead a little bit. What was it like? Because um, I was actually the first person to address him when he came, because I knew it was going to be tough. What was it like having your your son coaching your son on a professional rank? You know, you obviously. Oh, that was hard. Yeah, that was hard. I didn't want to do it. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, Dave Wool, who was the GM at the time. He started but before the year started. He said, "Man, Austin's just a—he's a diamond out there that uh, not playing well. We can get him for nothing, and he can really help this team." And I kept saying, "Well, that may be true, but it, no, that it just doesn't work." Uh, because I think to do it to make it work easy, 
he has to be the best player on the team or the worst player on the team. Mm. You know, if you're in the middle, mm. it's gonna be tough. Then it, it's a tough one. Yep. And that's where he was at. Yeah. You know, he was a role yeah. player, and you know, whoever he played, if he played minutes, then it's somebody just as close to him that mm-hmm. think they should be playing. And obviously, it's because he's my son. You know, it's an old man, um, yeah. so it was very difficult. And then Austin is is a uh, he's got that prickly tough. His personality, Austin's tough. Like he ain't giving in. You know what I mean? You you're yeah, around definitely. him. It's what makes him a good player. But it also, what on our team, made it worse sometimes because he was so uh, headstrong. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when you put all that together, it did work at times. I mean, the Houston series, shoot, he won a game for us. How he killed. He dominated. Yeah, you know, but it didn't work because we already had a, a locker room that was infected. Yep. <laughs> so the only you couldn't bring in any other issues. No. Um, and by doing that, it just brought in another issue. I will say this, after it was all done, and now Austin and I, when we talk about it, it uh, for us, it was awesome. You know, mm-hmm. uh, It wasn't at the time. But now, think when you it. look at it, the fact that I coached my son in the, in the NBA, NBA. Yeah, of course. Yeah, bro, you look back at that, like it's never been done. And uh, it, it was, we had some amazing moments together. Um, you know, the day of trading him might have been the hardest one. Mm. You know, uh, I remember calling him. You know, listen, calling a player for me to tell him they were being traded is hard, no matter who he is. Because I do get, I try to have a I do get closer. Mm-hmm. I was at him. I was at Roscoe's when you called me, Doc. So you, so you, were, in great, you were in a great mood. You were happy. I, I, I knew what was coming, Doc. I knew what was coming. I knew what yeah, was you coming. You were chicken and yams. You were good. <laughs> so, but it's funny. Austin is great, man. Like, he's like, Dad, what are you upset about? It's time for me to go, man. I need to need to show that I can play on my own. I'm good. Thank you. Like, he was great. I was the one hurting. Yeah. You know, and he was probably sick of me by then anyway. So, uh, <laughs> it was good, Matt, but it was hard. It was really hard. Um it's it's a hard thing to do, and I would just say this: if unless if if if, if your player is if he's the best player, I don't think it'd be that hard. Right. But when you're in the middle, it makes it hard. Uh, fast forward a little bit. The Chris Paul trade brings you guys Lou Williams, Montrez Harold, and, and, and a few other pieces. Lou Williams. Um, yeah. How how tough was you know you talked about speaking on Austin uh, trading him? How tough was it to trade Chris? Well, it wasn't tough because we didn't trade him. You know. He decided he wanted to go, and I was pissed that he wanted to go. But I got it. Like, one thing I've always understood, Matt uh, and Jack, because probably I was a player. When players want to leave, man, I never fight that. Yeah. Like, if they they think they can win it somewhere else, what's wrong with me trying to – like, that's something that I've never fought. Like, um, it's – I'm one of the few guys, coaches, I believe in free agency. I love the players – Man, if you can if you can control, control. Yeah. You know, but once you get on that team, then be coached. That's the only thing that I would say. You know, and so, um, yeah, like, so for Chris it was tough because he left, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so I didn't like that he left and how he left, but he left, and and so that basically 
threw us into, you know, what we're going to sign Blake or not. If we sign Blake, will we keep him or not? Uh, it changed our whole plans because we thought we were going to get Blake, uh, keep CP. We thought we we're going to end up with Blake and end up with Gal, I think. Mm. And we so we had a pretty good plan. And it kind of all fell through because Chris wanted to leave. Mm. Yeah. So and honestly, it wouldn't have worked anyway because the Chris Blake thing still wouldn't have gone away. Yeah. So it that wouldn't was, have worked regardless. That wasn't so. changing. Um, talk to us what went down for you guys to pull off something even crazier than keeping that team together, which was getting Kawhi Leonard and, and Paul oh. George to come join you guys. That was the best plan ever. Um, you know, uh, Lawrence Frank, who, who, in my opinion, does not get enough credit for it, um, worked tirelessly every day. Um, he, he, he would have Kawhi meetings, you know, uh, all season Kawhi meetings, um, you know, just monitoring him, where is he at, what he's doing. Um, you know, honestly, I because I've been through so many free agencies where you sign guys, the deeper Toronto went, the, the less I thought we were going to get them. Mm. You know, um, to think a guy that would leave a team that led a team to a championship was unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, like so I didn't until you know, and then after they won, when you start hearing because you know the league speaks if you listen, you know, and all you kept hearing is he's still going to leave, he's still going to leave. And so right when I started hearing that again, then I felt like, well, if he's going to leave, he's coming to us. We're going to get him. You know, uh, we're going to have the best sales pitch. We're going to have the best thing. Um, and to me, when I felt like we were going to get him up, it was late. But when he decided to take the meetings with us and the Lakers, and he told the Lakers, the Lakers wanted to have this big thing set up at their practice facility and all this stuff, and he wouldn't do it. He would only, they had to meet him in his hotel room. But for us, he wanted to meet me at my house. Mm. And so when I, you know, I'm thinking if he's coming to our house, to right. my house, right. um, he's different. telling me. Mm-hmm. But where I was impressed with him is the knowledge he had on the league mm. and even on our team. Because uh, I asked him, uh, what do you think about our team? And without going through names, he Point blank said who he liked and who he didn't like. Like I was, I was, I was shocked at his opinions and his knowledge. Uh, and then you know the guys that he wanted. He basically told us, "I, I want to come, but you, we're not good enough." And so that told us we had to go out and get someone. Uh, and PG was the guy. Uh, you know, he named a couple other guys, but PG was the number one guy. Now, quickly, fast-forwarding into the bubble, um, obviously a crazy experience for everyone. We've talked to several guys who played in it. You guys were able to, you know, obviously muster up, get through it. Um, take us to that Denver series, because I was someone along with when we had PG on earlier, we kept thinking, okay, they got one game, we'll win the next game. I, you know, I, I was thought for the first time, I was happy to see, I'm like, yo, I fought my ass off to try to, you know, help this team put put a banner up and, and we took pride in it and I finally saw like it looked like okay man they finally got the team that looks like it's going to get over the hump and then you know a, a, another collapse to Denver what were the issues or what do you felt like you felt like were the problems with that in in, in another 3-1 drop well the issues were the whole se- the, the bubble was a disaster for us mm. let's just keep it real like it, it, it was um, uh, we had guys that didn't want to go from the beginning of it 
We had guys that um, left the bubble, you know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. Like, we, we right. it was such a tough, like, I was so frustrated in the bubble uh, because, you know, and, and some of them wasn't, you know, Trez's grandmother died. Like, yep. and, and so he was gone for 30 days. Yep. And so well, you think about it, in the middle of the playoffs, we got Pat Beverly on a five-minute-in-a-row restriction. Couldn't play more than five minutes in a row. Um, Trez was at one point at 22 minutes. Lou was at, like, 24 minutes. We're in the playoffs. Right. Um, and, and, you know, it just – we didn't – we never came together. Um, if you watch us right before the bubble, we were rolling. And it, I thought, man, we're playing great. And then the season shuts down. Yeah. Um, and I really believe, like, you know, PG doesn't uh, go through training camp, misses the first, what, 15 games, plays like six games, and misses another month. Um, up until the bubble, PG and Kawhi had, had two practices wow. on the same floor. And so I was, like, really, I was concerned by it. Like, man, we've had no time together as a group. That matters. Um, and Denver, like, listen, we're up 3-1. We're playing great in that last, that next game. Um, we got to win that game, guys. Like, listen, um, we stopped playing in that game. Let's keep it real. And, you know, um, I always think, like, I always start with me. What could I have done differently? Of course, there's some kind of adjustments you could have made, I guess. You know, but what we were doing up until that point was pretty good. Was working. You know, and then uh, losing that series, you know, losing game seven. Like, you, I I don't know. Like, you know, you guys have been in games before the game. You feel good or bad, but you're, you're rarely right. You know what I mean? Like. You know, man, we're ready tonight. Then you go out and you're not ready. Um, going into game seven, I thought we were ready. I, I really did. Um, and we were awful. We couldn't make, like, when you look at statistically, and I don't like analytics, but it was our second best shot quality of the whole season. Meaning we got great shots. shots that yeah. We just couldn't make any of them. And, man, how many times have I said um, – you know, your offense will let you down sometimes. You got to lean on your defense. Hang on your defense. And, and we just didn't. Um, so, but that that series hurt me because, uh, listen, I don't know if we would have beat the Lakers or not, but I felt like we were Built the whole to. year. The whole year, that was a team we wanted to beat. Yep. That's and what, That's what the world wanted to see. And the yep. world wanted to see it. Mm -hmm. I wanted to see it. And, like, man, that one, that one's going to take a while to get over. Yeah. yeah. Well, man, this has been amazing. We got quick hitters right now. First thing to come to mind, let us know. And I'm going to start with uh, best moment as a player. Wow, that's a good one. Best moment as a player. Uh, you know, it's funny, man. I didn't win an all-star game. I mean, I didn't win an NBA championship, but I would say that Boston series, just being in that series. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Jack. Favorite coach to coach against? Oh, Phil Jackson. Of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. he was he was the best. Big feel. So, yeah, you wanted to beat him. Absolutely. You got a chance to. Uh, favorite teammate? Wow. Um, taking, I'm going to go with – Taking you back. With, yeah, you are. I'm going to go with uh, probably John Starks. 
Um, or, uh, yeah, John Starks probably is, is where I'll stop. I just love, I have a bunch of them, but that's my man. Love it. Yeah. Proudest coaching moment. Proudest coaching moment uh, was probably game four in the Lakers series. Ooh, the comeback. Yep. The comeback, yeah. Um, five dinner guests, dead or alive. Ooh, that's good. Um, Nelson Mandela. Mm. Martin Luther King. Yes, sir. Gandhi. Wow. <laughs> That's a first. And, yeah, yeah, Gandhi yeah. yeah, Gandhi would be great in that group. And Malcolm X. One more. It's you, you plus five. Oh, Malcolm X and then my dad. Oh, okay. nice. Nice. I, I, I think he'd be great at that table. Solid nice. conversation. Final question. Who do you want to see on our show? Who do you want to see on All the Smoke? Well, y'all had run-ins with Austin, so I would say Austin. But, because uh, I think it'd be hilarious, because y'all all three are fiery. Yeah. I think it'd, it'd be a great conversation. But I would love to see LeBron. Has LeBron been on your show? No, he not yet. He hasn't. I done. would love LeBron to be on your show, because I think um, I think Le- LeBron, man. We're going to get you, something out of him, Doc, that nobody have. Yeah, and he's been, like, God, I got this respect for him, man, because um, – he was set up to not do well. Oh, to I've fail from the beginning. The, the, yes. Yeah, the fanfare that LeBron James had came, coming in. There's no way you can you can reach it, and he yeah. and he's not only reached it, he surpassed he's exceeded, it. Oh yeah, he's exceeded. So yes. I would say LeBron would be my choice Ooh, for you guys. Call. Get him on. Absolutely. We're going. We're going to work, man. We're going to work. Yeah. Well, that's man, Doc. Thank you for your time. This has been a, a true gem for us. We appreciate you, man. Guys, I've always loved you. Thank you. Um, Tell those boys I said that. Hi, Matt. Absolutely, I will. (laughs) Hey, that's a wrap. Another episode in the books with Doc Rivers. You can catch us on Showtime Basketball YouTube and the Black Effects iHeart Network. See y'all next time. This is All a Smoke, a production of the Black Effect and iHeart Radio in partnership with Showtime. On Super Bowl Sunday, CBS raises the hand of the champion while lifting the spirits of our frontline heroes. The celebration starts at 2 Eastern with JB and the guys getting you ready for the game on the Super Bowl today. They'll cover X and O's along with special performances by Miley Cyrus and some of the biggest names in music. All leading up to the biggest game of the year at 6 Eastern, February 7th. Celebrate Super Bowl Sunday on CBS. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. 
Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T.